Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcast. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The Buck Off Podcast with Lane Grant. Hosted by Christopher Rennie and joined by Jordan Williams. Welcome everybody, this is your host Christopher Rennie bringing you another episode of the Buck Off Podcast with Land Grant Holy Land. Today, as always, I'm joined by Jordan Williams. How are you doing today, Jordan? Man, I'm good. It's Thursday. I can never complain about a Thursday. I work from home on Friday. I feel like I say this every week. So, man, I'm good. I'm doing yourself? well. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, it's it's like you said, Thursday. It's it's been kind of the weather's been kind of bad, but the like I get to see my dad this weekend. So I'm very excited about that. Uh, so yeah, uh, but I'm, I'm not going to keep you guys any longer. We've got a special guest here today. He's been brought up quite a bit on the show. Uh, he, he works for the Athletic. He's one of our favorite sports writers. Uh, his name is Bill Landis. You guys have probably heard of him. Uh, how you doing today, Bill? I'm doing great. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, of course. Appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, so uh, to get started, I mean, just how's the off season treating you? I know the camp circuit's really busy. Uh, you know, we've got. I think there's already been six camps since. Last week, tons of offers going out for recruits. I mean, it, Ohio State football is keeping all of us busy. So I just wanted to see how it's treating you so far. Yeah, it's good. Um, 
it's not a super busy time, like you said. Like I don't do a ton of like day to day recruiting stuff. So if I were a recruiting writer, I, I think my head would be spinning right now. But thankfully, that's not what I have to do full time. So I go to the camps. Um, it's good to go just to like talk with coaches too, just like get kind of like FaceTime off the record with with those guys because usually we're talking to them in like very formal interview settings, and those are just like much more laid back, and you just kind of chit chat about whatever. It can be about football. It can be about. A, Kevin Wilson was talking about like Guy Fieri and diners drive-ins and dives the other day. So like, it's, it's good for that stuff too, but I actually like this time of year, obviously, cause it's slower. Um, but you know, there's still, there's enough going on to keep you engaged, but not so much going on that you feel overwhelmed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yesterday the starting quarterback of Ohio state, CJ Stroud got the, the Bentley and then the story came out today. It's a Mercedes Benz G wagon. So obviously the news is out there being covered at its, highest level um but yeah i mean me and jordan wanted to start off i know uh, a lot of people kind of look at beat riders as just like fuel for like ohio state information but i i, I mean i wanted to get to know you a little bit jordan wanted to get you know get to know you a little bit so i mean i'll ask the first one here we just kind of want to know what what made you want to get into sports writing um it's a good question uh i, I think I've always kind of liked writing. Um, and when I first went to college, I went to Penn State and I was going to be a teacher. I was like, a, I was an education major, like elementary education major. Um, but that didn't last very long. And then I switched to being an English major and that didn't last very long. And I kind of didn't know what I wanted to do. And then uh, journalism seemed interesting. And I tried out for the school paper because they had tryouts for some <laughs> reason. Um and I got, I made it and, um, I still wasn't hundred percent sure that's what I wanted to do. Like I had done like high school paper and stuff, but it wasn't super serious. Uh, and then basically as soon as I started doing it for the school paper, I fell in love with it. Um, and my, I, I think what told me I loved it is that I, my first beat was covering at the time, uh, club ice hockey, uh, Penn state has a good ice hockey program now, but back then they did not have a division one program. They had two club programs. One was division one and one was division two. And I covered the division two club ice hockey program. They played their games at like 11 o'clock at night. Cause that's the only time they could get rink time. Um, and I like found myself enjoying it. So I figured if I enjoyed doing that. I'd probably enjoy doing this for a living. So, so that's kind of how I got into it. I always liked sports. I played growing up. I was not very good at anything, but um, I think I saw it as a way to kind of stay connected to sports, even though I wasn't good enough to be an, an athlete on any kind of serious level level whatsoever. But yeah, so that's kind of how I got into it. Uh, that's what's up. Um, so the, we had, we were wondering, how did you find a way to Columbus? You've been covering Ohio State since Cleveland.com, right? Yeah, my first season covering Ohio State was 2014, so the national championship season. Um, I Do you want like my whole, like the whole path how I got to Columbus or just set like the Cliff Notes version? Because I can tell you a longer version, I suppose. Yeah, when you went from Penn State, where was your first job like working? And like, how did you kind of work your way there? Yeah, my, my first job was, it wasn't even really a job. It was with the Trentonian in Trenton, New Jersey. I'm from Philadelphia. Trenton's basically right across the river um, in New Jersey. So um, I got what I I guess was an internship there. I was basically just like an unpaid. Uh, actually, you know what? I can't even remember if I got paid. I might have gotten paid by the story, like 20 bucks a story or something like that. But I'm pretty sure I was unpaid. Um, and I was covering... Uh, 
mostly little league baseball believe it or not like little league baseball is huge in that in that part of new jersey i think in the whole state but it was like i would go and cover 11 year olds playing baseball and then like right like interview them after the game and write stories about it it was kind of insane um i was working a second job as in a in a factory that paid minimum wage i was i went there from like seven o'clock in the morning to three o'clock i went to a planet fitness just so i could use their showers and then i would go cover a little league baseball game and like that was my summer after i graduated college um but they also let me i'm thankful that the trentonian um they let me cover some minor league baseball which was cool because it was you know technically pro sports and then uh they also let me i just said like hey could i cover temple football would you guys care if i covered temple football you don't have to pay me anything i just want to do it to get the experience and they said sure so i covered like the first i don't know three games of temple that that season that would have been the fall of 2011 i guess um and then from there i got a real job at a paper in carlisle pa i was covering high schools and i covered penn state I uh, did that for two years, got hired in Cleveland by cleveland.com to cover high schools, um, which was like some places like high schools are a huge deal in North and obviously they are in Northeast Ohio. Yeah. So like it wasn't it wasn't like a college or pro beat, but sometimes it felt like it because people cared about it that much. Um, I did that for a year. And then um, Zach Meisel, who's a former Ohio State writer, I think was a lantern writer, um, was on the Ohio State beat for cleveland.com. And then he got hired to cover Cleveland uh, Indians. I guess they're oh, the, the Guardians. Guardians yeah. The Indi- yeah the, they were the Indians then. They're the Guardians now. Um, and there was an opening on the Ohio State beat and I got it. Like I was just kind of like right place, right time. Um, and I got hired. I got put on that beat with Ari and Doug and worked with those guys for a few years. Um, I've been on the Ohio State beat since then, since 2014. And I've been at the Athletics since uh, the middle of the 2018 season. My first game for the ath- working for the Athletic was uh, the Ohio State loss at Purdue in 2018. Ooh. Oh man! Oh wow! Uh, so yeah, you got a good yeah. start with that. Uh, but yeah, it's crazy. I know the Athletic. I mean, I've been a subscriber since it was just Ari, and they brought you on. And I've mm-hmm. been a Cleveland.com reader because my dad had a subscription since like probably the start of it, honestly. Because my dad was a big Browns fan. So, I mean, I've been following you and Ari for some time, just reading you. Mostly, I mean, Doug, and then you guys took over the athletic and did a really good job there. So, Yeah, I'm, I'm actually from Canton. So, it's funny, like, just thinking about football, how football is in Canton and realizing that it's not like that everywhere. Northeast Ohio is crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, working working around 2014, you, you would have witnessed the uh, – downfall of Glenville and Canton McKinley. Like probably right around the time you came is around the last time Ohio State was really kind of getting recruited from there. Yeah, so I my my year covering high schools in 2013 uh, I covered Glenville in the state title game. I think they played Loveland and they played them in the snow and Loveland just like hammered them. Like it was, they were like triple option. It was nasty weather. And like Glenville had a bunch of dudes, but like they did not know what to do against that team in that weather. And then I, I'm trying to remember. I, th- I think like that was like Marshawn Lattimore senior year, Eric Smith senior year, Marcellus Jones senior year. So then all those guys left. Um, and like Glenville's not really been the same since. They're like, they're kind of on the comeback now. They got a couple guys um, in this recruiting class and, and the next recruiting class. Um, but yeah, the, the, I have like covered the last like juggernaut Glenville team, which was like kind of cool, but it's also kind of a bummer that they haven't been as good since then. Yeah, it is really interesting. Yeah. And you yeah. mentioned, uh, 
Cleveland Glenville. That's Arvell Reese, correct? He's the recruit from there currently that Ohio State's looking at. Yeah, he's in the 23 class. He's kind of like a – I think he's probably a linebacker. Um, and then he might be a defensive end. And then in the 24 class, it's uh, Bryce West, I believe the kid's name is. He's a cornerback. And he was like, a, I think, going to be a big, pretty big time. He just got offered by Alabama. Oh, yeah. They- um, so I think I think he's got like top 100 kind of potential in that class. Yeah, that's one thing me and Jordan have talked about quite a bit is just like when Ohio State's in on a recruit, when Alabama's in on a recruit, even if the ranking doesn't necessarily reflect those offers to like fans, that definitely means the player is – Someone they should be after. Yeah, especially up north. I was reading all of you, uh, the athletics recruiting confidentials and stuff. Uh, and one of the ones that really stuck out to me was like New Jersey and like that kind of stuff because the coaches were talking about it's like you don't see the southern schools until you have a guy. Like Alabama mm-hmm. doesn't live up here, Georgia doesn't live up here. Uh, and it's funny, like if you kind of, I didn't, you know, I don't know the schools, but if you follow the coach, it's like Coach B is the one that gets all the players because he's the one talking about Nick Saban and all the other coaches, you know, are talking about uh, nobody comes up here. So for Alabama to be up in Ohio that early, I'd imagine, you know, going to be a guy. Yeah, they've and they've recruited there before. Like Alabama was after that, like Marshawn and Eric Smith, and, and I think they offered Marcellus too. They offered all three of them, I think. And that was like, I think at that time we were all thought I wasn't covering Ohio State, but I was like in tune to what was going on. I think a lot of people felt like, okay, here we go. It's a start of Urban Meyer versus Nick Saban like every year for recruits, and like that didn't really happen. Um, but Alabama made a serious run at those three Glenville guys, and now we'll see how serious they get with Bryce. Um, I'd imagine by the time. I mean, he's only going to be a junior this year. I imagine by the time he's a senior, he'll have just about everybody um, having offered him. But um, I, I, would, I would think that Ohio State would put the full court press on for a guy like that who's in his backyard. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's that's. I mean, it was one of those pipelines that helped build Trestle's era up. Uh, that whole Northeast Ohio yep. era. You know, I mean, Notre Dame is going to be recruiting that area heavily as well with Marcus Freeman taking it over. I mean, so it's going to be. It's going to be. I think that's kind of where your co-host Ari's uh, conversation starts is like, these people are going to be coming after this territory and it's up to Ryan day and staff to build that fence. that has been there for the last decade or so. Yeah, I think that's right. I, I don't know. I'm still not super worried about Ohio state, not getting who it wants in Ohio. Um, it's kind of funny. I just, I just did this survey on the athletic that, that went up on Thursday and and some of the responses when when I asked like what would you like to see Ohio State do better in recruiting? Well, some people said like lock down Ohio, get more Ohio guys. And I was thinking to myself like how many how many in state players? I, I mean, ever really, but but certainly like that you can remember in the last ten years has Ohio State wanted and not not gotten. Like I, it's you count yeah, them on one hand absolutely. and you probably only need a few fingers. Like, I, I, like it, it rarely happens. And I think Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame would probably be aggressive in, in Ohio. He, he seems to have been thus far, but I don't, I don't think that's going to be something where they regularly lose guys. They want in the state. I would never really be worried about that. Yeah. Isn't the, the biggest one most recently, the offensive lineman that went to Clemson. And then if they, uh, I mean, I don't know how much Ohio state wanted him, but the defensive end, uh, from Northeast Ohio that's yeah, going to Notre Dame in 23. Yeah, Brennan Vernon from Menor. Um, I th- like they wanted him for sure. Like they, I, I don't want to do the thing where like Ohio State doesn't get a guy and they just like, oh, that guy stinks, whatever. Um, I think he, because that happens, unfortunately. Uh, I think he's a good player. I don't know. 
I think you make assumptions sometimes about, about guys just wanting to go to Ohio State. Um, he never struck me as like a guy who just like, you know, was born and decided he was going to go to be a Buckeye. Like there, there are some guys that, that, you know, aren't quite that way. And that's fine. I think he was one of them. I think Jackson Carmen was one of them. Um, they recruited Blake Miller, an offensive lineman from Strongsville, who ended up going to Clemson too. But aside from those three, um, I can't. I'm trying to think of another one, and it's like I've been covering Ohio State for what nine years now, and I can think of three. So that's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we, this show kind of gets off the road because we come up with questions, but it does bring up a, a question I wanted to ask. And I, I don't know how much insider info you have, or kind of what you would even want to share. But do you think um, it's interesting with quarterbacks just in general? And there's two big ones potentially coming up in 2025. But mm-hmm. uh, Ohio State, me and Bill have talked about uh, 2022 class. How Ohio State didn't offer. I'm terrible with names. Didn't offer the quarterback until uh, pretty late. Um, Drew Drew Aller, is that yeah. is that kind of like a similar thing where it's like Ohio was kind of looking at him, but just liking some national guys better? Is that a is that a kid that would have went to Ohio State if they were in early like Penn State? It was just interesting talking about it because you know we talk Ohio State recruiting is up and down, and there's a quarterback in their backyard, and they didn't seem super interested. Uh, they were kind of looking at some national guys. Yeah, I mean they had Quinn, right? So so I don't I, like when when Drew blew up, they had Quinn, and then. Um, that was like kind of falling apart, and and I guess like I, I just don't think there was enough time to kind of go after him, when like in that short window they had where they got Devin Brown, um, they they tried to open a door with Drew Aller. I just think that was probably a little like too little, too late. And and I, I guess you could argue that they should have been all in on him or more all in on him earlier. Um, but I get like. You know, you don't look at him. You don't give him much of a look when you think you're getting Quinn Ewers. Um, and then by the time Quinn reclassifies, there's just not much time left to kind of recalibrate there. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. I like Drew a lot. I think he's very good. Um, I wonder about him at Penn State, which is not developed quarterbacks all that well um, and does not have a good offensive line. And like I saw what happened to Christian Hackenberg there, who was a very talented high school quarterback who just got annihilated because his offensive line stunk. I hope that doesn't happen to Drew. Um, but I think he's a good player. I think 2025 is very interesting. You're, um, Ryan Montgomery and uh, Tavian St. Clair are the two guys in that class potentially who I think are, could be Ohio State good, will probably be Ohio State good. Um, and that could put Ryan Day in position to really recruit his first Ohio quarterback. He hasn't done it yet. Um, and really, I mean, they haven't recruited. Uh, who's the last Ohio quarterback they recruited? Joe Burrow, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like it, it's kind of strange. It's actually it's, it's something I've been kind of mulling around in my head for for a story. It's like the I don't want to call it the decline of the Ohio quarterback because I, I don't know if there's been historically a super strong track record of it. But I, I feel like most years there's a guy that you could consider like it being worthwhile for Ohio State to recruit. Now they're in a different era now with how they're recruiting the position, but to not have an in-state quarterback since 2015. Um, like really they're going to if, if they take one of those two guys they're going to go a decade between in-state quarterbacks that that's kind of wild to me so i kind of want to explore that a little bit and figure out like how things played out that way why they's maybe not been an ohio state caliber guy in this in the state for that long yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah and that kind of actually brings me to a question here you know you brought up brian day recruiting the position at like honestly one of the highest levels we've probably seen in modern like football history with just the five star after five star coming in 
and you know, when you go back to Urban Meyer's years, kind of at the beginning of when you were covering Ohio State, it was guys like JT Barrett. It was guys like Braxton Miller, who was obviously an absurd recruit himself. But like you're going from those more athletic run first Tim Tebow types that Urban Meyer made his money on to these kids are NFL prospects almost immediately from the time they get to Ohio State. Yeah, it's very different. I mean, Urban Urban's quarterbacks were it was like like JT was like kind of his first guy, right, in that 2013 class. Um, Stephen Collier, who didn't play much, Joe Burrow, like Torrance Gibson, who never like, was never. I don't think was ever really going to play quarterback here. Um, he liked Danny Clark, who was not a particularly good passer. He was a big, athletic kid who ran a lot. Tate Martell is is a dynamic athlete. He's not a tremendous passer. Like that, just didn't seem to matter yeah, much. Urban, he was players. worried about other stuff, and that's right. And like the really the only reason, like they were kind of left scrambling in 2016 when um, the kid they had from Texas, whose name is escaping me. Uh, Tristan Wallace decommitted because he wanted to play receiver instead of quarterback. And they ended up with Dwayne Haskins. And like, it's, it's funny. Like if Tristan Wallace just decides he wants to go to Ohio state, like what's this position look like right now? I don't, it could be very different. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's night and day, I guess, no pun, no pun intended with, with how Ohio state is, uh, is recruiting the quarterback position right now. And, and really, like everyone's kind of up their game. Like Alabama gets great quarterbacks now. Clemson obviously does. Oklahoma does. Um, USC will now. But no one has been as good at doing it year after year the way Ryan Day has been so far. Yeah, no. It, yeah, oh, I yeah think, you go ahead, Jordan. I was gonna say I think that's one of the the one of the best things that Ari has ever said. Keep name dropping him. Hopefully he listens. But I think that's one of the best things he's ever said is when he talks about how. Clemson was winning because they had the best quarterback and now everyone has a quarterback at that level and so it's like you know when you're looking at recruiting and different things and you see Clemson's class is different but they're bringing out Deshaun Watson and they're bringing out um, Trevor Lawrence uh, Trevor, Trevor Lawrence mm-hmm. and it's like you know the other guys are not doing that but now it's Trevor Lawrence versus Justin Fields and I've argued that despite losing one of those games Justin Fields outplayed Trevor Lawrence both times uh, it's literally a, a, a freshman breaking off his route away from winning that game. Um, and and obviously Trevor Lawrence had that huge run up the middle. Uh, you're an offensive line guy. I love offensive line. I'm a linebacker guy, so I will never forgive the linebacker play of the last like five or so years. Um, but, yeah, I think I think that's one of the best things Ari talks about is like how, you know, not that Clemson's going to fall off or anything like that. I'm very anti that, but we don't have to get into that. But I think that it's very interesting that, now, like you're saying, everyone's getting those quarterbacks. Right? Alabama's going after the number one guy. Ohio State's going after the number one guy. Everyone seems like, but Georgia, Georgia's fine with, mm-hmm. with whatever they have. Uh, but I'm sure, I'm sure they'll get there too. Well, there's just more of them. Yeah. Like, I, like I don't like the the quarterback position. The, the way that guys like play in high school, the offenses they run, their year round training, they're just more top flight guys i think every every year and it seems like there's more and more of them each, each year too and it's like i know like trevor and justin it wasn't that long ago that they came out it was 2018 so like they were it, it was already kind of happening with those guys but i do think like yeah trevor well first to and then trevor like they were equalizers for clemson because clemson didn't have like the kind of recruiting classes you would think that a team would have if they were going to win two national titles um, in that short of a time span. But what they had was they had the best quarterback in the sport 
for like in, in each of those seasons as well and that equalized things and now like there's degrees right you can still have the best guy but it's like i don't know how much difference is there really between like bryce young and cj stroud and caleb williams and um i don't know like Cade Klubnick if he ends up starting at clemson this year and taking dj's job like there's just more dudes um so like you if you want to compete at the level that ohio state wants to compete at you have to be in that mix and ryan day hasn't yeah and i think it's interesting like like the timeline of how quarterbacks have changed i remember bruce feldman had his book the making of the modern qb like almost eight or nine years ago and i honestly feel like he needs to write another one about that because it's the landscape of that has changed entirely in almost less than a decade yeah it's very different i feel like even like i never actually i've i've meant to read that book i've never read it and like i'll randomly go to the bookstore every now and then to try to find it i never do um i should probably just order it online but i think i I would imagine it's like was it like nick Foles is like a like a fixture in that book i think he was the cover guy on it i yeah i think like even the idea of what you want now is different it's like it used to be like you want six foot five white guys who can throw the ball a mile and now it's like you want you need some kind of dynamic athletic ability you need to be able to make plays off platform and do stuff when the play breaks down and like there's a there's more of an emphasis on passing ability for sure and i think kids in general are much better at that now than they were a couple years ago because it's so specialized but there's an athletic piece to it now that i think teams covet that maybe they weren't coveting um in in the same kind of way you know 10 years ago yeah uh we make up words on here i don't think this is a real word a word that i use a lot is sizest and i was wondering if you would agree with this it seems like ryan day Really, like, I mean, if you look at the roster, and, and Chris actually averaged it out one time, every single a quarterback that Ryan Day's recruited is like 6'3, 215, essentially. And you yeah. kind of look at some guys like Dante Moore and some of these other really high rated quarterbacks, especially I've noticed it really in the 2023 class. We were trying to, we were looking at quarterbacks, it's like all the top guys, except like Arch and one other guy is like 5'11, 6 foot, 170. Do you think that that's something conscious? Is that something that Ryan Day has talked about? I know he mentions all the time that you have to have a trait, like you have to have something, which is what you were saying. But it also seems like you have to have a trait and be six three, six two, six three, and be able to get up to two fifteen. Uh, I know Devin Brown wasn't that, but he's six three, and, and you think? I mean, CJ Stroud put on like twenty pounds and got to two fifteen, two twenty. So CJ Stroud's a big dude. Like I don't know. I don't know if people realize how big that kid is. Like, uh, like stand next to him. Like, you're like you're a little taken aback by how big he is. Um, but no, I think you're on to something. Um, I don't, I don't know if Ryan Day has ever expressly said that, but it does feel like there are some physical benchmarks that he wants to hit with his quarterback. And I think you might have even seen it, like with the, the decisions they made in 2024. Like, I, I for a long time, everyone thought it was going to be Jaden Davis in that class. And and I think there's a lot to like with Jaden Davis, but he's little. Um, and maybe there was some hope on Ohio State's part that, like, over the course of a year, he would have gotten bigger or, or something Something would have told you that, like, he's going to be at the size you want him to be um, when it comes time for him to play at Ohio State. And and I don't know if that happened. And meanwhile, like, Dylan Riola comes around, who's who's obviously tremendously gifted physically as well. And he's a big kid. He's, like, he's 6'3", probably six, maybe close to 6'4". Um, he's kind of built really thick through the lower half. He's the son of an offensive lineman, and he kind of looks like it. 
Um, so I get why, like if you're choosing between the two of them and the skills, like maybe more or less are the same that you'd want the bigger guy, um, just for durability purposes. Um, they don't run the quarterback a ton, but I think when, I think you want to feel good about that guy being able to take some hits when you do. So it's like, Justin was a really thick athlete. Um, like Kyle McCord and Devin Brown are the biggest guys in the world, but they had decent size. Um, and then Dylan Riola has tremendous size. And even the guy like... Austin Novosad, who they just offered, is like 6'2", 6'3". Like, he's got good size. Um, Brock Glenn, I, I'm the guy, the other guy they just offered, I'm, I'm hoping he gets to Columbus at some point and does a camp so we can kind of see him and, and get a feel for what he's all about. But, um, yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think you're going to see Ryan Day go after many, like, 5'11 quarterbacks. Yeah, it was incredibly interesting. And, yeah, I know. I kind of noticed that. Me and Jordan talked about that. So I just said, let's make a story out of this thing. And then I – saw and then saw the trend and almost every quarterback is in relatively the same area from a recruiting number standpoint. And then on top of that, their size, like despite like him not outwardly saying it, like the history of his recruiting, I think says it for everybody. Yeah. I think, you know, once, once a track record starts to develop, I think you can, you can make, make the assumption that that's what their thinking was. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't claim to be a recruiting expert or to know what Ohio State's thinking, but when I heard about Jaden Davis, in my head, I pictured something else, went to his recruiting profile, and I was like, ah, this doesn't seem like an Ohio State quarterback. But I'm like, I mean, obviously, they know a lot more than me. Ryan Day is going to get whoever he wants to. But like, kind of like you said, you know, I had never heard of Dylan. I don't look two, three classes out unless people are writing about it. But mm-hmm. when he came, it was like, ah, that makes sense. I mean, he's, he, he fits the trend. Yeah, and now we'll see what happens, but I think I think Jaden Davis might end up at Michigan. It's kind of similar to what happened with Kyle McCord and J.J. McCarthy. I think Ohio State probably could have had either one of those guys, um, and they took Kyle, and J.J. went to Michigan, and there's some potential storylines there if they ever get on the field against each other, and I think a similar thing might, might play out with Dylan and, and Jaden um, in the 2024 class. Yeah, those are always fun, fun projecting those stories out, and then sometimes you get them, and they – they blow up the world and sometimes like ESPN would even be covering those stories. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I think uh, continuing kind of in this like recruiting trend, uh, like out of the summer camp, there's some crazy stories I saw like Ohio state's offered two eighth graders rising into their freshman year and mm-hmm. uh, Tyler Atkinson. And then Chris Henry jr. I believe is are both in that 2026 class. I think we're getting that far out. Yeah. Like, I remember when I was younger, uh, I lived in California, and I remember when Lane Kiffin was at USC, he offered Davis Sills, uh, the quarterback. He was Mm -hmm. like the quarterback of the future, seventh grader. And I just never thought when I was then at an Ohio State fan at like 11, 12 years old, Ohio State was going to get in the business of offering middle schoolers. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't think it's going to be a regular thing. It's I remember Davis Sills getting offered too, and then it became a college receiver. Um, he was a pretty good one, but he didn't, college, he didn't play actually. quarterback. Yeah, he Did went really? to El Camino and yeah. he played quarterback there. Then went back to West Virginia after one year. Okay, um, I remember and like Tate Martell like committed to Washington when he was in eighth grade. I think so. Like it happens. It's kind of crazy. Um, I'm trying to think. Like Ohio State's offered a couple freshmen. Danny Clark was a freshman. Um, Jack Sawyer was a freshman when they offered him. There, there might be one or two more in there that I'm that I'm not remembering. Um, 
Quinn was in this similar position. He was an eighth grader going into his freshman year of high school when he camped at Ohio State and they offered him. Um, and that's kind of the only other one I can remember being that young who they've offered. And I don't know, like, what does it really mean to offer a kid when he's that young? I, I think not much, but when, like, everyone else is doing it, I sort of just throw your hat in the ring. Um, but I will say, like, I, I did not see – I left the camp early on the day that Chris Henry got offered – so I didn't watch him work out, um, but I did watch Tyler Atkinson work out, and he destroyed everybody. So, like, I get it. Um, he's really skilled and, like, advanced as a pass rusher for his age. He doesn't – I mean, he's he's in eighth grade, so he's really skinny, and he's not that tall. And, and, and I guess you do projections, and you th- and you think he'll get taller, and he'll get bigger, and he'll, he'll grow into that, and, and that's totally fine. But, like – I don't get super caught up in offering an eighth grader because like you have no idea like Tyler Atkinson can stop growing tomorrow yeah. <laughs> and, and then what? Like, I don't, I don't know. So I, it's like, it's, it's, it's a fun story. And like that kid is really, really good for his age. Um, and like, I think you can probably make a safe bet that he'll be really, really good by the time he gets to college. But um, I don't think it really matters all that much. It's interesting, but I don't, I don't think it's a thing that's going to become regular for Ohio state. I think it's just kind of random that it's happened twice here in, in the last week or so that they've been involved with two kids yeah, that young. I, like watching Tyler Atkinson, I was like, man, this kid, this guy, kid's kind of skinny. Like maybe he'll fill out his frame. I wonder how old he is. And I call, he kept beating this really big offensive lineman, every type of move you could dream of spin moves, rips, swims. And then all of a sudden I looked at his Twitter page and I'm like 2026. That's, that's pretty far out. Yeah, there was another kid there who like kind of looked like him, had a similar haircut to, to Tyler. And when I first got there, I thought it, it was a it was a kid from Cass Tech in the twenty twenty three class who also got offered Jalen Thompson, yep. I think. Um, and like he's he looks like a high school senior. I was like, and I saw him. I was like, that kid's in eighth grade. Oh my goodness! And they're like, no, 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 that's not him. It's the kid next to him. I was like, oh well, Tyler Atkinson looks like he's in eighth. I mean, like, well, I shouldn't say that. He's I, probably most eighth graders don't look like Tyler Atkinson, but just from like a size, just like height and like just sort of build perspective like he doesn't he's clearly not a guy who's about to go into college which which again is totally fine he doesn't have he doesn't have to be um at all by any by any stretch but it's like i don't like let's let's pump the brakes a little bit i guess and like see how the kid grows for sure because he's like i don't know what's how old is someone who's going to be a freshman in high school right now like 13 13 14 like let's (laughs) let's let's let him let's let him like mature i guess before we try to analyze what he's going to be as a player yeah, I, I think the camp thing's interesting, and it, it brings me to another question. It's kind of like a beat writer. Uh, so I was at the Ohio State camp, uh, took my little brother to a couple of different camps. He's going into his junior year. Uh, and, you know, you hear a lot of, you know, camps, it's how you get noticed, things like that. But um, it doesn't – so I have a couple, two questions. The first question is, do you think it happens or it's possible for a kid that is not on a school's radar, Ohio State, Cincinnati, wherever, to go and get an offer? Or do those offers kind of come from guys that it's like like the quarterbacks where it's like, we kind of know about you, but we want to see you, we want to do a private workout. Could someone just walk up there and get an offer? Um, I mean, I guess it could happen, but what's the likelihood of that? It, it kind of seems like at the camps that I've been to, you can kind of tell who the coaches are watching, who they've talked mm-hmm. to, um, who they kind of have relationships with, whether they have offers or not. I think I think for Ohio State, it's pretty rare. I'm, I can't I can't think of an instance, and maybe like a, another person who covers recruiting more day to day than I do would have a have an example of a kid who showed up 
to an Ohio State camp totally off Ohio State's radar and got an offer. Um, I, I can't recall that, but I think it definitely happens for the other schools that are there. That's the thing about Ohio State camps. It's like it's not just Ohio State coaches there. Like um, Ak- the other day, like Akron's entire staff was there. Uh, Jason Candle, the Toledo head coach, has been at a couple of these camps, which is kind of funny because Ohio State's playing them later this year. Um, like uh, Ohio University is there. Eastern Michigan's there. There's a bunch of D2 schools there. Um, so those schools definitely encounter situations where they're watching a kid and they have no idea who they are. Cause I've, I've like eavesdropped on conversations where a coach will go up to It's like, Hey, what's your name? Where are you from? What year are you like? What's your recruiting situation? Like, and this is the first time that coach is ever hearing anything about this kid, but he wants to know because he's watched them at that camp. So I think that definitely happens and that's probably pretty um, common, but I don't think it's super common. And I'm not even sure that it happens at all for Ohio State to just be totally blown away by someone that they had no information on coming into it and then offered them. That makes sense. And so so for the second part, for a beat writer, and I know when we were there, you, you talked about how you don't write too, too much from camps. But uh, as I was just, you know, on the sidelines, that's one of the cool things about the Ohio State camp. You know, I was intermingling with like coaches and reporters and maybe I yeah. shouldn't I mean, I shouldn't have but nobody said anything. So I'm like right oh, there at the drills. Do it. Um, I hear, you know, some of the some of the other guys talking about players. So maybe not you because you don't follow recording uh, recruiting specifically. But do you kind of go to these camps knowing who's there and, and trying to watch specific guys or how does that work from a beat writer kind of thing? Like, is it you, you go, you see something you write? Are you looking like, all right, so on this date, this guy's coming, this guy's coming, this guy's coming. I, I kind of want to focus on that. I was just kind of interested on since. You know, at Ohio State, you're not typically getting random guys. Um, mm-hmm. What is your role at camp? Uh, yeah, I don't I don't go with like a comprehensive list of everyone who's going to be there. I try to get a general idea of who's there and then maybe pick out, depending on how many are there, like you know, one to a handful of guys that I want to make sure I just I watch. Um, and I'm not only like I, I like watching like football and it's not real football, but like I enjoy just like watching those guys go through stuff and like trying to trying to learn more about what it is to like identify good players at that stage. Um, and, but I'm also there to like watch the coaches interactions with them and, and kind of see how that goes. So like on the first camp of, of the summer, I was really only concerned with Austin Novosad and and Jack Slotherwood, the two quarterbacks who who threw in the afternoon with Ryan Day and Corey Dennis. So like I went and I hung out, I watched a little bit, but I was like really just like kind of watched those guys intently because um, I knew I was going to try to write about them, and I ended up writing about Austin after the fact. Um, and then like the last camp on Tuesday. Um, like I knew that Jordan Hall, the kid uh, from Columbus, who's an offensive tackle, who's kind of an interesting story, uh, may or may not be Ohio State level, but is like he's only played football for a year and he's six foot eight and he's an offensive tackle. And I can see why teams are like kind of fall in love with him. Like he he worked out twice last week and like I watch him because I think he's interesting. I just want to I, I wanted to watch like and see how he did on Monday and then he came back on Tuesday. I wanted to see if he was any better. Like I find that stuff kind of interesting when guys come back for multiple days when they're really like working to get that offer. I love those stories. Um, or like when there's commits there too, like Luke Montgomery, Austin Saraveld, and Joshua Padilla went through a workout with with Justin Fry really in the cool afternoon on Tuesday, and like I I love like I'll I'll, I'll watch that all day. So, um, and it's not it's it's you want to get eyes on the guys who are going to be playing at Ohio State, but it's also like you want to try to get a little bit of a feel for how Justin Fry coaches too. So, um, those are the kind of things they look for. But like there are other like the the really good recruiting writers will go with you know if they have a list of of 
a dozen guys who like they want to watch and who they want to talk to because like they're doing evaluations as part of their job and i'm not really doing that um so i have the freedom i guess to more focus like more intently on one or two things rather than having to cover a bunch of things at once yeah it's really interesting i know i know seeing like justin fry coaching like josh padilla and stuff was intriguing because they took them off and did kind of an individual workout and you could see them working on their zone steps with the tight ends like ty lockwood there as well and i think that that's really yeah. interesting because justin fry i mean we've known him for since january so five months almost so i mean that's something i i was really excited to see on twitter yeah i i, I wish they would have I was really hoping they were going to work out in the morning and do one-on-ones. Um, I think it ended up not being a great defensive line group that day anyway, so maybe there wouldn't have been much to learn from that. Um, but the only I, the only one I can remember see going through – oh, I watched Luke and Josh do it last summer, um, and I've not watched them play since. I didn't, I didn't go to any of their games in the fall. So I would have liked to see them do some of that stuff at the camp in Austin too because I've never seen him do anything in person. Um but maybe that wouldn't have been the best learning experience because it depends on what the group on the other side looks yeah, like. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, yeah, I think me and Jordan kind of want to throw you in the fire here. Uh, we're welcoming you to buck off with this one. Uh, one of our biggest right. things we've kind of wanted to like highlight is the work of some of the assistant coaches because I think the coordinators oftentimes get a lot of the credit. Uh, Ryan Day gets a lot of credit for recruits, even though he might not be – doing everything with them. You know, he kind of comes in and the head coach is usually the closer more than doing the whole process. So me and me and Jordan have come to the conclusion that Corey Dennis, despite how he got there might be the most underrated coach on the staff when it comes to recruiting and the day-to-day tasks he's in charge with. Huh? I can see I can see how you get there because um, we haven't really talked to him. So this is just kind of from the outside looking in because we know he spends. Well, to be honest, we haven't talked to him much either. I, I, I don't I actually don't know. I think he like when he got hired, he did a press conference. I'm not sure he's done one since then. Wow. I can't remember. Like I've talked to him like just BS and like on the on the side talking about nothing. But um, I don't think we've I think we've only ever interviewed him once. Which is kind it of is odd. Incredibly for odd, honestly. Yeah, they usually try to get everybody yeah. out there a few times throughout the season. They do. They do. Um, they're not obligated to. So if a coach doesn't want to do it, he doesn't have to do it. Like Greg Sudrawa did not like talking with us, I think, very much. He only did it a handful of times. You um, wouldn't want to talk to me. But I don't know. Like, I think. <laughs> yeah, we don't, yeah. We, don't, we, don't, we don't say his name on the show. Yeah, I have named. I have some criticisms of him as well. You broke um, the golden rule, Bill. I no, think. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'll talk to you guys later. Um, the I think Corey Dennis is a hard evaluation, um, and it's not to say like he's he's not been bad by any stretch. I think he's been exactly what Ohio State needs him to be. Um, kids aren't committing here because yeah, of him. So like, and that's not and that's not his fault. Like, I just don't know. Like Ryan Day is the quarterbacks coach, and I, I I more consider Corey Dennis like the quarterbacks assistant. Um, but that's fine. Like he's young in his coaching career, um, he's getting tremendous experience learning under Ryan Day. Um, I think you have seen him, especially maybe at these camps, like see him like get a little more and more comfortable, sort of like owning that. Um, but I don't know. 
I don't know if I'd consider him underrated. I would probably consider him like properly rated. Yeah, I mean, I, I get that. We, we just kind of came to the conclusion like we know Ryan Day's a busy guy. He's got to do the stuff with the boosters. He's got to do all the head coach responsibilities. So yeah. Corey Dennis is probably spending a little bit more time with the quarterbacks than I think people realize compared to Ryan Day. And I'm not sure. I know Ryan Day is obviously going to be with C.J. Stroud more than Corey Dennis like more than probably the other three because they need to win football games. But I think when it comes to, I mean, I don't know how it works out, but like, you know, the younger guys probably feed off Corey Dennis's energy and all that stuff. And he keeps them focused. And then once they get to that point where they're going to be needed, Ryan day comes in, he does the master craft. He's been learning since he was at new Hampshire under chip Kelly. Yeah, I think like Corey Corey's a good recruiter. I think he's he does have a personality that people like. He's a young guy. Um he's not like as as good of a quarterback's coach as Ryan Day is and as good of a job as Ohio State's doing with that position. I still think like you got to show up and put in the work and like it does require some recruiting effort and Corey Dennis is doing what he needs to do in that regard. Um so maybe he should get a little bit more credit for that than he than he gets. Um I I just don't know like and I, and I think he has a, an important role in sort of what you alluded to in in like getting the younger guys going, getting them familiar with the playbook, making sure the mechanics are on point. But when it comes to like working with the guy who's the Q, who's QB one day in and day out, going through the game plan, um, I think that's more of Ryan Day than it is Corey Dennis. I'm not that's not to say that like Corey Dennis is totally sidelined in those conversations. I don't I don't think he is. Um, but I I don't think he's the one who's like leading the show there because that's what Ryan Day does. That's his that's his trade. Like he's the head coach at Ohio State, but he is he is a quarterbacks coach and offensive coordinator by trade. Yeah, uh, and and that's I, I think I would agree with that. It was it was something that I kind of paid attention to, and honestly, I'll tell you where it started. So. Uh, after the spring game, uh, I went out to dinner with my fiance, and in walks in Corey Dennis, his wife, the recruiting coordinator, and Dylan Rayola. And I, uh, I, I was, mes- I, you know, messaging Chris about it, and I just, I felt like Dylan, you know, silent recruited there. Who knows? I, it, you could just looking at the vibe, how they left that kind of stuff, and I was thinking, I'm like, I, don't, I don't see Ryan Day um, here. And you think about some other things, just like little quotes. Because I used to, you don't really hear about him, but I remember um, Dwayne Haskins saying he was kind of his personal quarterback mm-hmm. coach. Uh, it could just be a respect thing, but you hear these recruiting videos, and you could very easily just say Ryan Day's name. But all of them mentioned Corey Day, especially when they're talking about uh, Corey Dennis, especially when um, they talked about being recruited. And I think calling him properly rated is fair. I think it depends on the circle. I don't I don't I view it in the lens of the fans. I don't think he's properly rated and viewed in the lens of the fans. I think some fans um, and, and, you know, whatever. Uh, what do I know? But I think some fans don't necessarily get past the how he was hired kind of thing. And so I wrote mm-hmm. an article about it kind of from that lens. Who knows how he's viewed in national circles and things like that. But I think that. um 
there's some sort of value there or they'd find someone else. And I think that to your point of being properly rated, uh, Ryan Day probably saw what it was like to have a guy with a name and with ambition. Not to say that Corey Dennis doesn't have ambition, but Mike Yurts and all, and all of those kind of guys and remembering himself and how that goes to head coaching, offensive coordinator, that kind of stuff. I, I think there's some value to maybe him wanting a younger guy that's going to stick around and, and preach what he wants preached and not put too much ego in it. Uh, yeah. But I also feel like Ryan Day couldn't put me in that room and tell me what to do. Uh, you know, I, I could say yeah. the message, yeah. but I'm not a quarterback's coach. So I just kind of it's fun talking about because I feel like he doesn't get talked about a lot. Yeah, like I don't I don't think like just anyone could do the job at the level that it's being done right now. So like he certainly deserves some credit in that regard. And um, I think there's probably something to like the personal relationships that Corey's able to build with the quarterbacks and like Ryan is, he's the head coach. He's got other things going on. He's just not able to do quite that exact same thing. I think he's very much a player's coach, but he has to be a player's coach with everybody, not just the guys in the quarterback room. Um, and I think like Corey does a really good job of helping fill that void with the quarterbacks. And honestly, I wonder sometimes if there's even like a good cop, bad cop thing going on with the two of them where like Ryan Day really coaches those guys hard. And, and it's not to say that Corey doesn't coach them hard either, but um, maybe if, if you're a quarterback and you're having a bad day because Ryan Day really got into you about something that you weren't doing right, Corey Dennis is the guy you can go to and like talk through that in, in a way that makes you feel you know, you come away feeling a little bit better about yourself. Um, and I think that's a good dynamic they have there. So um, I, I, I wonder ultimately what the breakdown is there in terms of like their collaboration. I think it's still probably much more Ryan day when it comes to actually coaching the position um, specifically for the starter than it is Corey Dennis, but it also does feel like Corey's taken on more and more responsibility with each year, which makes sense because I think Ryan day, with each year is going to have to let a little bit more of that go if he wants to be ultimately coach, kind yeah. of the, the CEO head coach that he needs to be. Yeah, I think I think we kind of saw that with the, the game planning. Yeah. Uh, we'll spiral if we get into it too much, but the the short yardage stuff, which I bring, want to bring up because we can't have you on the show and not talk offensive line, mm. but also the pistol thing. It's like, really? You're going to run out of the pistol every single time. Every and play, I think, yeah. And some of that also was the defense, and I thought it was funny. Uh, we say that Ryan Day has a, a PhD in coach speak, but he didn't really coach speak too much with the defense. He was he was visibly frustrated that he had to take some time um, out on that, and maybe that affected the offensive game planning. But I think to your point, the more he can give away, the more he can keep the, that thing where it's like, all right, it's fourth and one, and he just do a 50-yard pass. Like those kind of surprise things that he really schemed up and he knows is going, he knows is going to work when, they, when they're needed. Yeah, he needs to – I don't know, like when he was like complaining about how much he had to focus on defense – all I thought was like, well, then don't be the yeah, head coach. <laughs> like, if you want to, if you want to be the offensive coordinator, be the offensive coordinator and call your plays. You do it really well. But if you want to be the head coach, sometimes you got to do that stuff. Like, you're not just like I know he calls Jim Knowles the head coach of the defense, and that's all well and good. And I think Jim Knowles' experience can handle a lot of responsibility. You are the head coach of the program, and yeah. sometimes, sometimes that requires <laughs> your attention to to be paid elsewhere, even if you want to be in your room doodling plays up on your grease board. So it's like I, I actually like. I actually don't think he handled it all that well and like and came off like kind of poorly 
with some of the stuff that he said like whatever i think i think it ended up in a good place because i like the jim Knowles hire but at the time i just like i wasn't a, a tremendous fan of him like complaining that he had to do something other than call offensive yeah. plays when he's the head coach of the yeah, football I think team that's like something that's also kind of not thought about that was definitely a lesson like he learned on the job at ohio state which is his first head coaching job which is crazy to think about like yeah and i like it's not he is a, I guess he was a third year head coach who had to deal with some weird stuff. So like there's learning on the job that has to happen that I, I think in a place like Ohio state, people sort of aren't willing to let you do. And maybe I would include myself in that. So like maybe he did learn from that. I do, I do feel like he wants to get to a place where he's like sort of overseeing everything, but isn't, isn't meddling is the wrong word. Cause it's his, it's his program. Like doesn't have his hands in, in and things to the point where he's like being pulled away from other other duties of his job so um i think that takes time and, and i think coaches are often slow to like give up what they love to do and everyone loves to call plays it's fun i get it um i think there will come a time where he's not calling the plays i don't think it's gonna be anytime soon but i think i think he's learning more and more that like he is the head coach he's not the offensive coordinator and and being the head coach requires him to do a lot of different things that take up a lot of his time so so who is the offensive coordinator we we want to know what kevin wilson does because it doesn't yes, seem we I, mean, need to know I, kevin I don't want you to get in trouble because you because you meet you the coach not that they listen to this but you have to be in the coach's face and stuff we don't so we can say whatever. but it's like <laughs> i don't know it, do, it doesn't seem like he's recruiting tight ends um it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like he's calling plays. It doesn't seem like – and it's like, man, okay, so it's like I know what Brian Hartline does. I, I know what everyone else does, but, like, what what is Kevin Wilson's job? Uh, it feels like he is um, collecting a paycheck so Ryan Day doesn't have to argue play calls. It's like, all right, you don't want to be a head coach anymore. You, 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 you've done the whole thing, so you you go do what, what older coaches do and let me not ha- have some guy in here trying to tell me what to do. I think Kevin Wilson has a pretty big voice in the offensive game planning from what I've gathered. Um, he's he's not the one calling the plays, although I'm sure there are times where Ryan Dace is like, hey, Kevin, take the series. I got to go. Work I don't with know. The line. Talk to seven. Talk to seven about what just happened on that last play or whatever or like get with Jeff Halfley so we can figure out how we're going to adjust to something so like I think I think that probably happens in the course of the game but he's not the primary play caller I, I'm not sure that he has been since he's been here I never we never really got it straight on how it worked out in, in 2017 and 18 um, but even Urban like was not the play caller but you know called the shots so um, Ryan Day is still the play caller it's not Kevin Wilson but offensive coordinator does not necessarily have to mean play caller um, and I do think he's involved in the game plan I think um, if you look at what his run game looked like at Indiana it's pretty similar to what Ohio State's run game is now with a lot of the stretch stuff um, so I think that's kind of his influence there Um I, I get what you're saying on like the tight end recruiting, but I also think like with the way they use the position, they they're just not going to get the guys that maybe people want them to get. Um, I think I think he's gotten some good tight end. Like I I like Bennett Christian. I think Bennett Christian's exactly what Ohio State needs for what they ask of the position. I think Ty Lockwood wound up being the same. Like they got Jeremy Ruckert. I don't know how much credit you give Kevin Wilson for that, but they got him. Um, so I don't know. I don't tight end is not a position I think about a whole lot. Um, I think they could be pretty okay if, if they like just didn't use it very much, um, which I wrote and Kevin Wilson did not appreciate. <laughs> um, I think people think about the tight end too but, much, honestly. 
Yeah, yeah. Why? We talk about it a lot at a pl- for a place that like doesn't involve them. Like outside at all. of eleven personnel and like sometimes using Mitch Rossi, it doesn't feel like they're that. Like like you said, like they could they have the they have uh, what's that car? The one that sold Braxton Miller all his nice cars after he got out of school. Uh, the auto barn. It wasn't after. Yeah. It wasn't yeah. after. <laughs> the toy, the, the yeah, toy the barn. toy barn. Like, we got the toy barn of receivers. And you're telling me you can't run yeah. a little bit of 10 personnel every once in a while? Yeah. I, I, yeah, they're not going to. I, like, no. I... I keep like trying like here and here like hey you guys are gonna run ten you guys gonna put two running backs on the field and they're just like no you're run eleven personnel <laughs> no, you guys are gonna like it <laughs> yeah but that's actually that's actually my point with Ohio State I I think and, and not saying that they're gonna get this guy but I feel like Ohio State should be should be recruiting like the tight end that Georgia has or like you said Bennett Christian that kind of stuff and for some years it seemed like all the tight ends they were getting were receivers and it's like oh we're going to teach them how to block and so like, but you don't throw you don't throw to wide receiver to tight end I agree with that I agree with that and yeah. so it feels like the room now doesn't have a tight end and you see not again it's Georgia not that we were going to get that guy or some of these other guys but you see tight ends in the mold around the country and it's like Ohio State didn't even go after that guy they went after the 6'5 tight end who's a wide receiver and it was like alright we're going to teach him how to block they never learned how to block and now you know we're, we're, where we're at today I, I don't think Ohio State needs to go get the toy barn of uh, tight ends I think they need to recruit the tight end that they're going to use which is a, a 250 pound offensive lineman that doesn't I, have stone hands I agree with that it's like can, like why why do you need to go out and get a, a 208 pound receiver who's going to take three years to get to the size you need on the get to before you can even consider putting him on the field? Just go get a kid who's like 235, 240 right now in high school. And yeah, maybe he's not the most anemic receiver in the world, but that's fine because you don't use your tight ends that way. <laughs> yeah, so like, you don't. So. Stover has that incredible catch in the spring game. Everyone's going to get excited about it, but we're just going to see Kate Stover go out there to bash heads, and that's really what the position's going to be. Yeah, and I think that's fine, and that's why that's why I think um, Bennett Christian's got a decent shot of playing as a true freshman because he is 250 pounds. He most of what he did in high school was blocking. Um, he is like I know his rating was whatever, and maybe people don't want to recruit guys who are ranked in the 300s. Although I think that's totally fine um, as long as it's not your entire class. Like, like Bennett Christian to me is like the prototype of the high school tight end that Ohio State should be looking for. Yeah. Yeah, that's it's, so, it's interesting. We're at uh, 54 minutes. I don't know how much time you have, but we haven't talked offensive line yet. That's I got it all night. Let's do it. And especially, uh, don't say that. This is going to be a two-parter. <laughs> we'll split it in two parts. So I'm, I think me and you somehow are really big on the same guy. Uh, we, won't, uh, we won't say his name, but um been advocating for some – changes in that room for a couple of years so uh, fry has a a lot to do and i think you've, you've done a great job talking about uh samson okinola in general who's the one that i want of the three that of names that you keep kind of hearing uh and i think you do a great job with like kind of measuring expectations to say all right he's in the top nine but he hasn't been on campus mm-hmm. i um uh, keep texting Chris because he keeps going to Michigan State and I'm like you have to get past Ohio to get to Michigan State and I just feel like this is this is probably going to be the stupidest thing that I've said because I know how recruiting works no one recruits Massachusetts and I feel like Ohio State lives in the areas that no one recruits like we just woke up decided to go to Seattle took their best players for three years I don't feel like anyone in the country should be able to get the one guy out of Massachusetts 
that that Ohio State wants. And um, so, yeah, I just kind of wanted to open the conversation to some offensive line stuff. What have you heard? Um, do you think he's going to come here? I'm just like Michigan State. And, uh, you know, just in our chat, um, Chris brought up a good point. Kind of feels like Keontae Goodwin trying to figure out why he wasn't coming to Ohio State. And he kept going to Michigan State. And so now I'm getting scared. I'm, get, I'm getting nervous. Uh, you know, yeah. I, I know Alois, Alois and Lennon is, is good, and there's some other guys, but I, I had my heart set on Samson, which is what I top never do. I, I hate Target. getting my heart set on 17 year olds, big guys. <laughs> Well, he's – yeah, he is uh, – he he camped at an Under Armour camp um, in what – I guess it would have been April of 2021 um, that I was at. It was like the first thing – that I went to like post COVID that like we were able to cover in person. It was uh, out in Obets and he was there. Like I had never heard of him before and he was all like, he just killed everyone. Like it was, he was just throwing dudes around and I was like, who the hell is this kid? Um, and then he kind of blew up. Um, Tony Alford was actually there watching him too. And I think Tony Alford was like, Oh, this is a kid we need to offer. Um, but there's never been like much momentum there with him. Like they they offered him, they recruited him. I don't, I don't know that he's ever been. He's he was in Obits clearly for that camp, but I don't know if he's ever been on Ohio State's campus. Um, so until that happens, like he's not realistic until that happens. That's how I feel about every recruit. So um, I, I'd imagine they're working to to get him on campus. Um, whether or not he comes, I, I have no idea. I, he's my top guy at the position as well. I, like, I totally agree with you. Um, I think he's like a first-round tackle. Uh, maybe not play right away, but I think we'll be ready to go by the time he's a sophomore um, for sure. And I think he's got a tremendously high ceiling, but I'm not super optimistic that Ohio State is going to get him, um, which is like – I guess it's like a tough spot for Justin Fry. It's like I don't know – Justin Fry had like a year, I guess, to try to get that done. So that's that's hard. It's like not a relationship he he had a, like a, a a kid he had a long-standing relationship with. So like if that doesn't happen, I don't think like you write off Justin Fry. I think I think you need to judge him more on his results in like 2024 um, than you do what happens in 2023. But I will say like even even Justin Fry going three for three in Ohio with Luke Montgomery, Austin Saraveld, and Joshua Padilla. That's not something that the previous offensive line coach was yeah. doing. Like they they were guys in Ohio that they should have gotten and they didn't get. Yeah, and, I actually wrote a story about that. I think they, it hurt them. To, yeah, I think it hurt. Like it's you take it for granted, right? And you don't want to give um, too much credit, I suppose, for well, just like locking guys down wow. in your backyard. But it was not necessarily a given for Ohio State for a little bit on the offensive line. So I think going three for three there is a really good sign. Um, they need tackle bodies for sure. Like even if they don't get Samson Okanola and they don't get Olaus Allen, and um, they were recruiting Ian Reed who just committed to Clemson, um, they need tackle bodies. But that I, I also think, like, say they don't get Olaus and they don't get Samson, maybe there's another kid you like um, in 23 that you take. But I don't, I don't think you need to panic because a transfer portal exists. So um, yeah. if somehow Ohio State ends up in a position where like they need a tackle next year, and, like the word is out that Ohio State needs a starting offensive tackle, like dudes are going to jump in the portal to yeah. come to Ohio State starting Release offensive the tackle. So um, I, th- <laughs> yeah, I think uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
we, we, we back up, right? That's what it says. Yeah. Uh, so, so like I, I'm not like super on alert about it because that road exists for them if they, if they choose to use it. But you also want to see Ohio State go out and get those kind of tackles in, in high school recruiting too. So um, we'll see with Justin Fry. Like if it doesn't happen this cycle, I don't think we can freak out too much about that because it's his first cycle and he didn't get here until January. Um, and really like it's, it's a year, I guess, technically to sign those guys, but we know how recruiting works. It's more like you got to build those relationships in like four or five months. And, and if that hasn't really taken shape, I think that's okay. Um, you just had to make up for it in 2024. Yeah, yeah we, me, me and Chris felt like Austin's not a guy. The he who will not be named will get. Maybe it gets Josh. Maybe it gets Luke. I, I feel like I could have recruited Luke to Ohio State, but I feel like Austin was a guy who – and I, I feel like that's a guy he wouldn't have got. I think Justin Fry did a really good job of solidifying that. Yeah, yeah. and it, that's it's right. interesting because, like, going back to it, like in-state offensive line recruiting, you know, I, I think Notre Dame's had coaches there who've done a really good job there, and I think one of the names that came up, uh, they had two, and I think it was either 2016, uh, not the Jackson Carmen class. I think it was 2016 where the top two guys went to Notre Dame and the third guy didn't go to Ohio state. So that's like a year where if you're an offensive line coach, that's when the red flags probably should have started there. Yeah. Ed Warner was not a particularly strong recruiter of offensive linemen either. Um, he had a really good group in 2014 and 2015. Um, and then I don't think was particularly strong after that, both in coaching the unit and bringing in good players like their 2015 recruiting class of offensive linemen was terrible um they ended up getting like a, a pretty good player in brandon bowen out of that group but i think they took like five in that class and i think i think maybe like four of them left and, and left and like starter. didn't play anywhere else yeah like i like brandon brandon ended up being pretty good um but that class was awful and frankly like when stud got here like had to start from a pretty hard place because of that class was so bad um but then, like, never really took it forward. Like, they got Nick Petit Frere. That was Greg Schiano. They got Parrish Johnson. That was Ryan Day. So, like, I, th- I think the change was a long time coming there. Um, and we'll see how Justin Fry does. Yeah. So, I, I've got one more question about Justin Fry because, as we said, we like the offensive linemen on this show. We like to give them some shine. Uh, when he was hired, a lot was kind of made, like – I know Chip Kelly gets very diverse in his spread run game, a little bit more diverse than Kevin Wilson has. You know, he runs quite a bit of that counteraction we've been kind of seeing build up in the spread offense. We see a lot more gap schemes like power stuff. You think with like out having a title, do you think he's bringing sort of any influence on that with Kevin Wilson and Ryan Day? Or do you think they're still going to kind of stick with what they're doing and hope it just gets better? Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm wondering that too. Um, and I tried to ask Justin Fry that when he, he first got hired and he kind of like dismissed the question. He was like, I'm not, I'm not coming here to like revamp stuff. Um, I, I sat in Ryan Day's office a couple weeks ago for the state of the program story that I wrote on the athletic. And, and I asked him some stuff about that. Like, cause a lot of our conversation was about, you know, being, just more physical in the run game and, and just getting a little more out of that. And I said, like, do you think about changing the scheme some? And he said, he, he said, no, but he could have just been saying no, because he didn't want to say what they had in mind. Like, um, I'm curious, like they, they have gap scheme stuff in their offense. Um, they don't use it much. And when they tried to use it last year, they weren't very good at it. Like guys were like running into each other and like tripping over, like it was bad. Yeah. Um, um, 
a lot of what they did in the run game was bad. Like I think Trayvon Henderson and Mayan Williams helped helped mask some of their issues. Um, so I th- I think I think Justin Fry is coming to improve the run game. Yes, I, I think maybe for the moment. The idea is that improvement happens more with like improved technique and like more emphasis on on run blocking for the offensive line, and less so with change ups and scheme. But I also kind of hope I'm wrong about that because uh, if you watch UCLA, their run game is That's awesome. One of the best. I love um, watching Chip Kelly's teams. Boston now. Colleges. Yeah, Boston it's College like, was awesome too when they were both there. Yeah, it's it's like a misnomer with Chip Kelly. And I kind of wrote this in 2019 when Ohio State was so good running the ball with Ryan Day's first year. Like Ryan Day worked under Steve Adazio, who like runs the ball in like every play, and worked under Chip Kelly, who like has this reputation for like the spread up tempo stuff. And I think people think it's like basketball on grass, and it's like they run the ball uh, yeah, a like, lot. Well, and James, they're really fi- and they're really physical. Back in the day was yeah, they're really physical when they do it. So like that's what Justin Fry is coming from, and I. I I think for Ohio State's sake, it would be good if he if he brought that with him, and and I think it's also just like a more entertaining brand of football. So I kind of hope Ohio State implements some of that. They're not going to totally revamp what they do. I still think the stretch is going to be their bread and butter, um, but I'd like them. I'd like to see them implement some more change ups to the run game for sure. Yeah, and just just knowing football, it's hard to get a yard when you're zoned up. You know, run some yeah. counters, run some mm-hmm. some, and and be physical. Uh, I'm an Ohio guy, born and raised, so for me. That's that's what Ohio is. I, I literally like it pained me when people were talking about um, we lost to Michigan because of the snow, and then other people started talking about they don't want home games uh, in the playoffs because of snow. Right. I'm like, this is Ohio. I don't care that recruits are national. <laughs> this, this is Ohio. This is why you keep Ohio guys in the roster. Like I don't want to hear any of that stuff. Go watch a high school football, and I mean it's different now, but like. When I when I played high school football, there, and by the time it got to October, there were two blades of grass outside. Every game was in the mud or in the right. snow. Like we stopped, I don't want to hear none of that. So, I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. But yeah, I, so I hope there's some kind of changes with that. I wanted to throw a fan theory at you, a question. Do sure. you think that there's any... Um, any validity to Ryan Day uh, furthering uh, Justin Fry's career to eventually bring him to Ohio State. I mean, they're kind of at Boston College. He gets him that job, and then you know suddenly he's at UCLA. Sure, he's a good coach, but but that's Ryan Day's mentor. You know, he he gets that job, and, and I feel like maybe I'm wrong. I feel like it's harder to bring 
not for people who know football, but I feel like it's harder to bring Justin Fry from Boston College than it is to say UCLA and say he went here, he went here, he worked on a Chip Kelly. Now you bring a young coach. So I, I just just a fan theory I had. It's like it feels like uh, maybe Ryan Day kind of set that up, called his mentor like, hey, here's a guy and was just kind of waiting till he felt like Fry was ready before he could bring him here. Uh, any, any validity yeah. to, to that I hadn't, crazy theory? I hadn't considered that. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. I guess. I guess Ryan Day would have been the connection, right, between Justin Fry and Chip Kelly. They didn't have anything else that that would have made sense if you look on their background. Um, that would have led them to working together. So, so maybe I don't know. I don't know if Ryan Day. I'm sure Ryan Day put in a good word for Justin Fry when Chip Kelly was looking to hire him. I don't know that Ryan Day did that with like the long-term vision of like, okay, after this chess move over here, I'm going to be able to bring Justin Fry to Ohio State. I don't, I don't, I, I don't think he was is like that diabolical. <laughs> kind of hope so because that seems kind I, of saving ass, yeah. honestly. <laughs> yeah, but like I don't, I don't know. I think he could have, I think he could have hired up at Boston College and would have been fine. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I think his. I think because like you look like Justin Fry's. I like UCLA's offense a lot, um, but it's not like he went to UCLA and like was a dynamite recruiter. And I think it's, it's because of like what that program was, not necessarily because of him. So like I think his profile more or less like would have been the same had he just stayed at Boston College and he tried to hire him there. Yeah, I think I. I, I think that's that's definitely fair. Um, I mean, I mean, looking at all the new coaches out, we've talked a bunch about Justin Fry. I think. You know, Jim Knowles is his expected his impact. But what are the other coaches have you talked to that you feel like are bringing quite a bit? I know Perry Eliano's got his recruiting background. He just brings a ton of energy. Tim Walton, I haven't heard much yeah. about, but of that new group of guys who are brought in, who who has you the most excited? Perry Eliano. Um, I get like if well, I guess if I'm removing Jim Knowles from that conversation, but I would say Perry Perry Eliano. Um, what he did with Sauce Gardner and Kobe Bryant at Cincinnati was awesome. Like, I, I, you know, coaches always get a lot, like probably like outsized credit for for that kind of stuff. Those guys are good players and, and did work on their own to be as good as they were last year. But like Perry had a hand in that, um, and you develop a, a first rounder and a um, what's the Thorpe Award winner. I forgot the name of the award for a second. Um, that gives you some cachet. I think he's a tremendous recruiter. Um, he's got Ohio State like in the thick of it for for Caleb Downs, and if he pulls that off in his first year, um, I would put that up uh, against any other recruiting job that I've seen happen in my time covering Ohio State. Um, it's a it's a, it'd be a huge impactful commitment, you know, for the program, but also would say a whole hell of a lot about Perry Eliano's recruiting chops and ability to build relationships if he pulls that off in, in such a short period of time um, with kind of like his first class at Ohio State. But beyond that, I just think he's a good football coach. Um, Tim Walton, I think, has come around like pretty quickly like to back to the recruiting game. He had not done it for so long, but I also think he's just kind of like a relationships guy by nature, so that probably just comes a little more easier to him. Um, at least like the, you know, the 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 face-to-face stuff like maybe he had to adjust to like different rules and stuff the things that have changed to last time he was in college but um recruiting is just about connecting with people and, and i think he's pretty good at that um even the campers like that we, we've seen this month like or seem to have like a good rapport with him um and i think you know he knows football too like i think i think you, you coach in the nfl for as long as he did you pick up some stuff and he coached some really good players um that gives him credibility as well so um 
we'll see if he can get Ohio State back to what it was, you know, three years ago or when it was putting out a first round corner basically every year. Um, I think that's the expectation, right? That's that's what Ohio State's shown us capable yeah. of. But we'll see if Tim Walton can do that. But I think I don't have any reason to not be excited about any of the hires, but the one I think that has me the most excited is Perry. Yeah, um, I had a question on that because you mentioned the first round corners. How do you balance um, hype, right? So we had first round corners and then you start to hear Seven Banks name going in the first round. And it's like seven. I I mean, I don't know. I never really felt like Seven Banks was in that mold. Um, It was just because he wasn't. Yeah, yeah, it's just that was the (laughs) name that was coming up. Right. And, And now. Granted, Zach Harrison's a little different because he's giant. He's 6'5", two-something, and runs a 4'3", four, 4'4", four, four, whatever it is, something crazy. But as a as a beat reporter, how do you balance that hype of this is the expectation, maybe some fans or media, ESPN, whatever, is putting these expectations on, on kids who aren't in that mold just because that's what the program does. And people, whether they say they do or don't, people read what you write. So – what is that balance of like this guy's I know football and I know the team. This guy's not a first round pick. This guy's not that um, the fans, I, you know, maybe I don't know if you feel like you have an obligation, but like the fans are reading my work. And how does that how do you do you think about that when you're writing? I guess. Yeah, for sure. I just like try to keep it real. Like, But I I, I don't want to do it in a way that's like the meaning of the player, because I, I really try not to do that. Like seven banks is trying hard and and he's not a bad player but he's not when i saw that i was i mostly just thought like whoever was doing that was being lazy it's like who's the next starting cornerback at ohio state so i'm gonna put him in the first round um i i honestly don't pay it any mind um and I don't want to write like Seven Banks is not a first rounder, you you idiots! Like I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to write a story that says that. But if like people ask me my opinion on him, I would just say like pump the brakes a little bit. Like I don't think he's a bad player. We'll see what he is this year, but he's not done anything to this point that suggests he's going to be a first round pick next year. Um, so like let's just wait and see. Um, and honestly, I feel like it's it's not the same thing um, because Paris Johnson played well last year. But like everyone's penciling him in as like the number one offensive tackle for next year's draft. And I think there's like no analysis involved in that other than he was the number one tackle in the recruiting class that is becoming draft eligible next year. Like these people haven't watched Paris Johnson play football. Um, I have watched Paris Johnson play football, and I do think he's going to be a first round offensive tackle. I'm not convinced it's going to be next year. but I think he's really good and he's going to be good. But like that kind of stuff bothers me. It's just like if you and I guess it's just like kind of the nature of the business. It's like you got to put out content and you got to have like you have to you got to find 32 names to fill out your mock draft. So why not do it that way? Like, of, of course, you're not super well versed in all the guys who are coming up. Um, but it creates like undue expectations sometimes when it's like. Paris Johnson is going to be the ninth pick in the draft next year, and it's like, what? What, what are you basing yeah, and that it's on? Interesting when like, it's not like when it's coming from someone nationally, like fans still kind of grasp it. Like, hey, this was guy was supposed to be a first round pick. Why wasn't he as good this year? And like, you you get to the yeah, beat right. writers, and they're yeah. like, hey, like he's played like nine games at his actual position, like. Like he's still learning on the job at the D1 football level. And I think sometimes that disconnect really honestly just hurts the players. It does, and, and also, too, like with him in, in particular, I, I, I went back and looked at got tackles who were first round picks who only played tackle for one year in college. And I had to go back like seven drafts, I think, before I found one. 
So like the idea of someone playing tackle for one year and then becoming a first round pick, it's incredibly difficult. I don't think people realize how hard that job is. It's like Paris Johnson is going to be a really good NFL football player, but I don't think he's going to be quite ready to be in the NFL a year from now, like blocking Miles Garrett on every play. Like these guys are, are different dudes in the NFL and it just takes time to build up to that. So, um, I my my expectation is that Paris will be here for two more years and then be a first round pick, but it the, you know it could also play out where they're just like there's no really no one shows tech, up like, yeah. no good tackles yeah and like Paris goes in the first round because it's just not a particularly strong group, um, but the position is valued so highly that it happens anyway. Um, but I I'm not operating under the assumption that he's going to be a first round pick next year. Yeah, and I feel like offensive line is a place where you don't see too many three-and-done guys, just in general, because yeah, yeah. it takes some time to get on the field. I mean, he got on the field early, but still, you don't see too many three-and-done guys. Also, as a fan, you know, I, I I don't count anyone's pockets. If he feels like he's ready and he's good enough, go go change yep. your family's life. But for sure. uh, also for the roster, which is something you've talked about, looking – and I get a lot of this from, from you because you do a lot of deep dives in the roster – Looking at who's on the roster, I'm like, man, like if Paris Johnson leaves and Dewan Jones leaves and, and, and you know, um, Matthew Jones leaves, like who do we have? But if he stays another year, Integra Shibola shows up and maybe another guy. Uh, I know you've mentioned. Um, oh, I'm going to lose his name. I was doing too good on names, so it had to happen. Uh, you mentioned one of the one of the second or third year guys who you think maybe the sixth or seventh guy in the rotation. Um but it's oh, just seems, uh, yeah. Is that is it Zen? No, it's the other one. Josh Fryer. Yes. Yeah. Josh okay. Fryer. Yeah. Uh, it just seems like not only maybe for his growth and just how hard offensive line is, but hopefully just for the team in general, it'd be a scary proposition to have a first a first time starting quarterback behind what yeah. may be that offensive line next year if all of those guys leave. Yeah, I think I think that's right. That's like a that is a real concern I think for them and and that's where the transfer portal can come in and, and help you out of that. But, you know, if, and I think Donovan Jackson can play tackle in college if they need him to. Um, so maybe he fills that void too, but you start moving those pieces around. It's like, if you take, if, if you remove Paris Johnson, Dewan Jones and Matthew Jones from the roster, do you, can you come up with five names you feel good about to start on the offensive line? Not right Probably now. not, right? No. <laughs> yeah. So, guys develop right like i don't like i think josh fryer is probably ready to start now i don't, I don't think he will but i i certainly think he'll be a starter next in, in 2023 whether that's a guard or tackle i don't think he's a left tackle but i think he could play right tackle or he could play guard um and i like zen mohowski and i get the sense that they like zen mohowski as a future tackle but whether or not he's ready for that in what will be his third year in college as a guy who like arrived at tackle kind of late in high school and like kind of grew late in high school into a tackle frame. I'm not entirely sure. Um, I think you say the same thing for George Fitzpatrick. Like I, I don't think he'd be quite ready for that just yet. So I still think you're looking for a tackle. Like I, I th- even, even if Paris stays, I think they might be looking in the portal for a tackle who can start in 2023. Wow. Yeah, it's definitely interesting. And that's kind of, I think a big reason the change happened was like the, the room, 
last year, like, and I think this was actually in the survey, like the offensive line was like every year it's like they're supposed to be one of the best in the country. And overall, it's just rather been mm-hmm. meh. And I, I think you tried it out with your four best linemen in their eyes uh, at the guard, guard, tackle, tackle. It didn't work out. You know, two years ago, I thought the line was pretty good, but it's kind of hard to keep the unit together and in place when you have COVID. Uh, so, I mean, this is going to be a really yeah. big year from a development standpoint and like to see if like Ohio State can get back to being a dominant place of offensive line that could woo recruits to come there. Yeah, that's actually a good point. And, I, and honestly, it might be something worth writing about. It's like the the five are the five. And I think the five will be pretty good. And maybe it's crazy to say this, but I almost feel like what Justin Fry does with everybody else in the room is like more important yeah. because because of how it sets up potentially for 2023. And it's like if you can get Justin or Josh Fryer ready, if you can get like Ben Crispin going, if, if Zen takes that leap, then maybe you feel a little better about the situation. And it, But it's it's also hard to gauge. Right? You sort of have to take them at their word because like you're not going to see a ton of those guys playing in the fall. Maybe maybe you will. Maybe they'll blow on enough teams that you will see them play. But I think that is, that's like low-key a very important storyline for Ohio State is like what Justin Fry does with everyone besides the starting five on the offensive line this year. Yeah, and, and I was wondering, um, you know, Ohio State fans are – Interesting. We'll say that. We'll give them a break uh, on, mm-hmm. on how we talk about them on this show. We'll I say love they're them. interesting. They pay for my house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but um, um, where was it? Oh, so like, what do you do? You think it means anything? The where I was getting with the fans is we expect Ohio State to be the best at everything, and understanding you can't get the number one player at every position in the entire every time. Even Alabama doesn't do that, even though it feels like it. Do you think it means anything though that Ohio State's left tackle hasn't been a bona like a bona fide first round pick? It feels like every left starting left tackle at Alabama is a first round pick. For a while, it felt like every starting left tackle at Notre Dame is a first round pick. Um, do you think that says anything about Ohio State long term? That yeah, they get drafted second, third round. Some of them have better uh, NFL careers than they do. Um, college but ohio state's not at the point where the guy who starts for them for two or three seasons is getting taken in the first round has that had a cumulative effect or is it you know ohio state's so good at other things that they can be above average there and and it not hurt them too much um i think the answer might be yes to both like i don't like you look at their 2014 offensive line like taylor decker was great he was first round offensive tackle um billy price is pretty good um, was was a really good college player. He's been, uh, I guess, not quite as good as a pro. Pat Alfine, really good college player, not quite as good as a pro. But then you had like Jacoby Bourne, and you had um, Daryl Baldwin, who's like a defensive lineman playing right tackle. So like you can get away with like not being all dudes across the board on your offensive line. I think um, as long as you have like dudes somewhere, and they've had they've had dudes somewhere. They just have not had it at tackle all that regularly. Um, but I do think it works against them for sure. Um, I I asked Ryan Day about this at media day um might have been like his first media day i can't remember um or maybe it was no we didn't have one in 2020 so it was either last year or, or 2019 i can't quite remember but i like the idea that ohio state has had two first round offensive tackles since like it's been orlando pace and taylor decker and i actually think in that span i think the only other first round offensive lineman they've had is billy price so they've had three first round offensive linemen since 1997. Yeah, that's insane. I think that's right. 
that's insane. Like, yeah. how so, does that happen at Ohio State? Like, it's, it's it's absurd to me that that happens at Ohio State. Yeah, um, it's not like we're like not like you're saying then, there needs to be one every year, but just three in twenty five years is. You just need the yeah. You need to show uh, an ability to get guys there more than they're doing it, and I I do think they combat that in recruiting. I don't know. I don't know that I've specifically heard a recruit say that, but like of course Alabama is touting its NFL development with offensive linemen, and Ohio State's um, for a program that's had some pretty good offensive lines doesn't hold a candle to what Alabama has done with putting offensive linemen in, in the league and, and in high draft slots that make a lot of money. So. Um, I think it just like depends on what you want to be. Like if you want to be more about development and like bring in three star guys and coach them out to be really good. And they like leave as like third round draft picks. Like that's good development. That's fine. And you can have a good college offensive line that way. But if you want to recruit the position the same way that like receiver and quarterback and defensive end more often than not have been recruited, then you need to show an ability to put those guys in the league in first round draft slots. And Ohio state has not done that. Yeah, I think, I mean, there there's a lot of pressure on that position, like moving forward, because as everyone knows, even in the more like skill position driven game, like you still win the games in the trenches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, they got destroyed up front by yeah, Michigan. Up front by Michigan. <laughs> like, they had great, they had great receivers. Michigan had a hard time covering Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. It didn't matter because the Ohio State was getting destroyed yeah. in the trenches. The so game. I mean, Oregon owned them in the trenches last year. So it, it there's that's pretty much like when fans are really wanting to know where the difference is, that's where it's at. Like if Ohio state wants to beat Bama, Mm -hmm. beat Georgia, beat Clemson again, like those teams with good interior linemen, like that's where it starts. Yeah, for sure. I mean, even like, like I thought like Michigan had a great offensive line last year. Couldn't block Georgia. (laughs) (laughs) Like you gotta be, you gotta, and like Georgia maybe is a bad example because like that was a freaky, freaky defense. And like everyone went in the first, like they had a bunch of dudes on that, on the defense who got drafted in the first three rounds. Um, So maybe that's a bad example, but I think by and large, you're right. I think like there's, I mean, what's the, the best offensive line Ohio State's had in the last 15 years is the one that won the national championship, yeah. right? So it's not, it's not coincidence. Yeah. I mean, yeah. And I guess that I, I mean, there's not much more that can be said in that, honestly. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll talk for three more hours about off of the line play. If you guys want to, we should just, I mean, listen, we should just start right? We should just start a YouTube <laughs> channel that just specifically covers the niche of people who want to watch Ohio state's offensive line. Just, yeah. It's Those Thursday. are my people. Mikey's is open. We're good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Uh, all right. So, yeah, I mean, I, let's get moving forward a little bit. I kind of want to go through the schedule with you just because I know you're going to be at the games. Like, from, like, the double-sided standpoint of, like, Ohio State's toughest aspects of the schedule, what games you're most looking forward to covering for the storylines. So, like, when you look at the schedule, like, we did a kind of – two-part schedule breakdown one was like three months ago and the other one was like a couple weeks ago uh so that didn't really work out as i planned but looking at it like where do you see ohio state's like toughest stretch of games because usually there's that time where you've got penn state michigan like kind of back to back you know you might have an oregon and then like a wisconsin or something along those lines like the out of conference game then a tough one Mm -hmm. but this year like i'm looking at it yes you've got your tough games but it feels like it's actually kind of favorable yeah, I don't know. I guess if I had to pick one, I would look at that like mid-October at Michigan State against Iowa and then at Penn State. But there's a bye week mix in there. And I don't know like 
games, I guess, always get kind of weird at Michigan State, but but Ohio State has like handled that team so well the last two years that I don't I don't really know that I consider that particularly challenging. Um, Iowa, I guess, like could be a fun offense defense matchup, but their off- Iowa's offense is atrocious and their quarterback stinks. So like I don't know, and it's and it's here. Like maybe it was there. I'd feel feel differently about it. Um, and then like Penn State is not the typical like eight o'clock craziest environment on the planet night game that it's been every time Ohio State's gone there. So um, I even feel like the luster has been been taken off of that stretch a, a little bit too. So there's not, I don't think there's a grueling stretch. There are hard games yeah. like, you know, Notre Dame. Notre Dame is a hard game. I think Wisconsin will be a good game. Michigan, I think will be a tough game. Um, but there's not, they're not like stacking up on top of each other in, in a way where you think like, oh, they might drop one of these. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like kind of going on like, what you're saying about Penn State, like I know that like, you can't consider Penn State a trap game, but that just kind of that's the one I have circled. Like, you know, no one in Ohio State's fan base is really giving a lot of like credit to Penn State. You know, James Franklin's a solid football coach, and he's had a lot of trouble against Ohio State. But like when I look at the schedule, I'm like, you know, that one's the one that kind of of all the ones makes me a little nervous. Yeah, oh, I think it should. I think they're. I know Michigan beat Ohio State last year, but Penn State under James Franklin has played Ohio State tougher, more consistently than anyone else. I know they've had like the weird losses to Purdue and Iowa, but like that was back to back years, right? Where it was a one point game yeah. against Penn State and, and 27 or it was a 16 and or no, 17 and 18. Um, the 2019 game like got kind of weird. It wasn't a blowout. Um, 2020 was weird. I don't pretend that year happened. If Penn State uh, so, had a quarterback, we would have lost last year. Yeah, I think that's. I think like Trace McSorley being a good college quarterback helped keep those games in, in 17 and 18 um, fairly close in Saquon, obviously. Yeah. yeah. Um, in 17 for sure. Um, but I think like those. I think that's always the game I, I would circle, unless like Michigan's about to do something different and like be competitive with Ohio State on a like, yearly basis again, which I suppose is possible. Um, I still, I still think Penn State every year is the game I circle. Is like, well, maybe they, maybe they'll lose this one. If you're looking for a loss, I start yeah. there almost every year. Yeah, I'm really interested in the Penn State game, and I have a question regarding that. But I'm really interested in the Wisconsin game because I understand new team, new coach, new defensive coordinator. But one thing that I've always been able to hold my hat on with Ohio State. Uh, and last year was very different the way Mo Ibrahim was, was treating us in the first game. But it seems like if Ohio State goes into a game knowing your best player is the running back, they almost never have a good game. I mean, Saquon mm-hmm. had one amazing game in his career. Jonathan Taylor had, I think, one, maybe it was two. It was, it was one game that they prepared for him. The second good game he had was his freshman year, the first time they ever played him, uh, he had a good game, and then they shut him down in the in the championship game. And now Ohio State's not going to be surprised about Braylon Allen. I do a Big Ten podcast for our site, and I write an article each week called Big Thoughts, so I kind of focus on that. And I don't know if you know this, but Wisconsin won every game that Braylon Allen ran for 100 yards and lost every game he didn't. I did not know that. But yeah, that, so, that seems to track for what Wisconsin is, right? Yeah, I think that makes yeah. sense. And so I'm really interested in that game because that has been through years, different coordinators and everything. That has been the one thing with Ohio State. If they know that you're going to run the ball, doesn't matter who you are. You almost you don't run the ball against them. Uh, and you could say for the most part that happened with um, Kenneth Walker, too. But uh, as 
a Penn State grad, and I know as a beat writer, you kind of separate yourself from fandom a little bit and things like that. Mm-hmm. Do you feel that Penn State is Ohio State's rival? I do. Ohio State fans won't say it, and I don't care. I understand Michigan, but I think of this decade, Penn State deserves rivalry status for everything that you've said, and I think that anyone who is sane, Penn State is the scariest game on the schedule almost every year. And personally, I think James Franklin is the second best coach in the Big Ten. I think he checked out the last two years because he thought he was getting the USC job. (laughs) And and now that he's not getting that, maybe he locks back in. And you can kind of see that in the way they're recruiting and stuff. But just objectively or maybe unobjectively because you went there, does Penn State deserve rival status? Um, I I don't think so. Well, like from the Ohio State side, I think – I don't think you want to put them on the same level as Michigan. Like I, I like the the history of that and like that it means something a little more. Um, but I do. I mean, I, I totally get what you're saying with in terms of like what it's looked like on the field. Like, of, of course, Penn State's been more competitive with with Ohio State um, the last few years, um, last year notwithstanding. Um, but I don't. I don't think I would quite put it on that level. I think on the other side. I think Penn State people consider Ohio State their rival more than anyone else. They don't really have a true rival. It was Pitt forever, but they haven't played in so long that that they kind of died. Um, and I think they they kind of look at Ohio State and Michigan as as like the rival now. But I, I think I think they get a little more out of beating Ohio State. Um, but I I don't. I wouldn't put Penn State on the same level as as Michigan, even though I give them all the credit in the world for for being competitive against Ohio State when a lot of teams have have not been. Yeah, I feel like they could be our Michigan State. I mean, Michigan State is Michigan's rival, but they're not on the on the level of Ohio State. And yeah, I think that's that's a that's a decent comparison. I think I can get them more yeah, with I, that. I consider yeah. them a little brother. No, I'm just kidding. As an Ohio State graduate, <laughs> yeah, that was just a joke. But um, yeah, I think. I mean, I I, thought I had the most fun. Like, the Michigan game's different. But outside of that, my most fun game as a student was definitely the Penn State games. Yeah, those are always the best environments. There's just something like it feels it, – it feels so different when you walk into Ohio Stadium or Michigan Stadium yeah. for that game. Like there's just, there's nothing like regardless of what state both teams are in, I still think yeah, there's like, nothing like it. For Ohio yeah. State, Michigan, like growing up a fan and like being there as a student, it felt like there's that history aspect that kind of gives that like chills up the mm-hmm. spine. Like you're like, my grandpa hated these guys. Like his grandpa hated these guys. Like yeah. with Penn State, it's just like there's that competitiveness to it, and I think there's that bragging rights aspect of the fans that like kind of really elevate the game a lot. But, yeah, it's never going to be on the level of the other one. Yeah, and I don't think it should be. I mean, as an Ohio State fan, I went to undergrad at Kent State, and I went to my master's at, at West Virginia, and I hated every second of both because the colors were Michigan colors. So <laughs> I, I spent three years working with Kent State's football team and wearing the colors, and I'm like, man, I look like a Michigan fan. So I don't think it will ever touch that. But I, I think, you know, sometimes Ohio State is a little – I don't want to say too history focused because the rivalry is amazing, but I don't know. I feel like we could open it up to another. I, I think you can have lesser lesser rivalries. There are other. I think some schools have too many, but I mean, it feels like every single school in the West, uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Iowa, like every single one of them are each other's rivals. And I don't, I don't know. I just I, I thought it'd be interesting to get your opinion on that. On if maybe they Penn State deserved a little bit more respect than what they're getting from Ohio State fans, but. Uh, whether you call them rival or not, we all know what that game is like. Yeah, no, I, I, I think when you when you say it that way, I think I, I think I'm with you. I, I, 
I, I thought. I guess I thought I was initially. I initially thought you were asking me like if Penn State should like replace Michigan. Oh, and no. my, my answer to my answer to that would be would be a no, of course. But yeah. um, I think you're right. You, like you, you don't have to have only just you don't have, to have one rival. Um, there are games on your schedule that mean more and like should mean more, and like that's part of what makes college football very cool. And if if Ohio State Michigan is the pinnacle and always will be the pinnacle, um, I think Ohio State Penn State is is number two and and alone at number two. I don't think there's anything else that comes close to it. Yeah, I don't think I've seen. I, I did this myself, but I don't think I've seen a single person who talked about getting rid of divisions not have Penn State as one of Ohio State's three, which yeah, I think speaks I, to that in, in, alone. Yeah, and I uh, in the survey that I did, um, I asked like discarding Michigan because of course that's going to be protected. If if you could protect one other opponent for Ohio State in the Big Ten, who would it be? And like seventy five percent of people, I think said. Yeah, Penn State. I said Rutgers because. <laughs> I was wondering. Some people said said, said Rutgers and Maryland because they want those scheduled wins. I get that, but um, I, I think we'll get a Rutgers and I think it'll be Michigan, Penn State, and then Rutgers or Maryland. I think you have to quote unquote legitimize one of them, and you mm-hmm. have to give Ohio State a uh, an easy game. Uh, but if you had to pick one based on whatever, right? Based on you want to go there every year for food, you want to go there every year for the press box, which you guys have been talking about a lot on. Um, maybe maybe we'll keep Michigan, but open it up to two. For whatever Bill Landis reasons, food, travel, the drive, press box, whatever, where do you want to go uh, a twice every year? So we have Michigan, where are your other two? Yeah, I think it's Penn State and Rutgers. Um, one, because I'm from Pennsylvania. And like I'm like I want to go like I like going back home. It's nice. Um, Rutgers is like I go to Rutgers. I just go to Philly because Rutgers is like an hour from where I grew up, um, and I get to like I can swing through Philly or like the food in Rutgers like reminds me of the food I ate growing up in Philly. So like I, I enjoy that very much. Um, it's not an easy trip, but I, I like going there. Um, but then also it's like I would I would, the, the Ohio State Penn State game in Beaver Stadium is like it's it's good when they play in Ohio State, you know, but the Ohio State Penn State game in Beaver Stadium when that's at night and it's a whiteout, it's insane. And yeah. I would like I want that on Ohio State schedule every That's other definitely. year. So those are those are the two that I would pick. If like I don't even know, like if Michigan State's whatever, Wisconsin's cool. Like going going up to Camp Randall's cool. That might be the next one I would pick. But um, for sentimental reasons, I think I'd put Rutgers in there. And then for just like what's best, I think for like the sport um, and the Big Ten, I think you got to have Ohio State, Penn State. Yeah, I, I spent a summer at Rutgers doing an internship and I had the athletic and I was like, man, what is Bill talking about? It's the water. And then I went there and I had a bagel and I was like, all right, all right. I'm not a bread guy, but I am now. It's different, man. Oh, yeah. It's, it's different. different. I, I, had a, I had a bagel. I had a uh, um, Taylor ham or what's the other one? Is it Taylor ham or is it um, pork roll? Is it pork roll? I, I, had I, call, one I call it pork roll. Pork I think roll? like I think like North yeah, Jersey calls North it Taylor ham, and like South Jersey and Philly yeah. call it pork roll. So yeah, I so call yeah, it pork I, roll. I had a pork roll sandwich, and I was like, "Oh my god!" All right, all right, Bill, Bill, and everyone that that talks about the pizza and stuff here—they're right. The food there is crazy. Uh, stuff your face. I, I know you t- you bring that oh, one yeah. up a lot. Uh, I have a lot of friends still in New Jersey because of that. Every time I go there, I, I get. Um, a breakfast sandwich at, at a bodega. I don't know if they call that in New, in New Jersey, but it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I got to stuff your face at one of the local restaurants. Uh, Edo is a personal favorite of mine. I don't know if you've had that. Um, I have not. No. What kind of food is that? It's uh, Japanese, so it's like a, okay. you get a, It's like less than ten dollars, unless there's inflation. You get this <laughs> stupid big bowl of rice. You get to choose 
two meats, like a sort of kind of like a vegetable or something like that, and I always get an egg fried hard. Throw it in yeah. there, put the spicy, right. the spicy sauce in there. Sounds. I mean, I'm salivating over here, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, it's literally di- it's it's literally basically diagonal from stuff your face. Stuff your face is on the main street. That uh-huh. first right, um, there's a restaurant that has like no parking. It has like two spots. It's like right there. Uh, there's okay. like the stuff your face. If you're if stuff your face is behind you, that little uh, Mexican restaurant on the corner. Uh huh. Yeah. It's up that street. It's like stuff oh, your okay. face Mexican okay. restaurant diagonal from there. Edo. It has like three parking spots. Really good. I keep that in mind for when we uh, go back there in, in 2023. Yeah. yeah. I like records. It's a good trip. I don't like the Maryland trip. The Maryland trip sucks, but I like I've been the disappointed in records ever since they changed the name of the rack. Jersey Mike's Arena just doesn't yeah, have the ring to of, it anymore. Yeah, I heard somebody call it like the big sub in a tub, which That's I thought funny. was kind of That's funny. That's hilarious. People. Yeah, the rack is great. It's actually like like low key, like a pretty good place to watch college yeah. basketball game when there's people in there. It gets really loud. Yeah, they always give people problems there. They do. They're like a real program. Yeah, though. I actually listened to Cleveland.com's little schedule preview about the Rutgers, and they had the the Rutgers. Sorry, that's the Ohio State in me coming out. <laughs> but it, it, like they they've done a lot of stuff that I didn't know over the last ten years. So like get back, get up to the Big Ten status, and that's interesting. That's probably actually a show within itself, but. Yeah, Greg Schiano like had the vision, I think, to make Rutgers like a real Big Ten program, and then he left, and then it went in a dumpster, and now he's trying to build it back up to what he thought it could yeah. be before yeah, he left. Made that job interview pretty easy. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right, uh, he's um, just randomly sorry, and I know we're running long. If you had to choose, because I feel like they're kind of in similar places. If you had to choose the build, are you taking um, Brett Bielema or are you taking Greg Schiano? Or if you don't want to pick one of the coaches, who in five years are you thinking is going to have the have their program more to contention? Whether that's six, you know, a bowl game every year, eight eight wins. Um, are you are you taking Greg Schiano? Are you taking Brett Bielema? Uh In that scenario, or do we still have the divisions as they are now, or are we scrapping let's divisions? Scrap divisions. Uh, let's say scrap. I think Rutgers and Maryland are the biggest. Behind Penn State are the biggest winners. Of yeah. I think the West sucks. I, my yeah. personal brand is fired like 90% of the coaches in the West. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, if if we were keeping the divisions as they are now, I would say Illinois and Brett Bielema because I, I do think he's going to get that. He's going to improve them. I don't know what the ceiling is there. I still think it's like pretty low, and he'll and he'll jump to something else. Maybe he'll be the next Iowa coach um, whenever okay. Kirk Ferentz decides to retire. But uh, if we're getting rid of divisions – and Rutgers doesn't have to bang its head against Ohio State, Michigan, Michigan State, and Penn State every year, uh, I would take Rutgers and Greg Schiano. I said Rutgers is an 8-1 program with no divisions. I think I can yeah. get behind that. It's yeah. like Jersey, not bad football in Jersey, not bad football in Philly either. So, Really good, really good high school football in Jersey and and improving high school football in Philadelphia for sure. And like, I, like Rutgers is going to – have bigger schools come and take guys that they want there, obviously. But I think there's enough left yeah, over they can build, like like you said, like a seven eight win team, yeah. as long as they're in years where they don't kind of play those four four juggernauts from the east yeah. every year. You, do you think Ohio State has some, and not even just taking Jim Knowles out of it, but getting Marvin Harrison, getting Kyle McCord, some other guys? I know they didn't get the the defensive lineman they wanted out of that uh, that prep school in um, Philly, but mm-hmm. do you think Ohio State is set up if Philly kind of takes a jump and and has some guys yearly that 
they can really capitalize on that? Or you think they're kind of where everyone else is? You got to go in and fight for it. No, I think I think they're in decent shape there. Um, they have definite inroads at St. Joe's Prep, which is where Kyle McCord and Marvin Harrison went. And that's probably like if you're listing the places where you want to have inroads in Philly, that's that's at the top of the list. Um, the Philly public schools are hard because I feel like those guys often go to the SEC. And that's where Eni White, who was at Imhotep Charter, he, he went to Texas A&M. Um, those guys just like tend to leave for some reason. Um, that's even like... Um, Sheree Floyd was a Philly public school kid who went to went to Florida, didn't go to Ohio State. So I think that's a little tougher. But the the Catholic school kids, the private school kids in Philly, I think Ohio State's in decent shape there. They got they got Marvin and they got Kyle. They're actually recruiting a kid who went to my high school, goes to my high school. Um, his name's Ty Sear Denmark, and he's a receiver in 2024. I think he's like a borderline top 100 kid. Um, probably will be by the time he's he's a senior. Um, and I actually think he's coming to camp here next week too. So um, that's interesting. My, my high school does not, it's not like a high school football powerhouse. It's actually pretty rare that they have a power five kid um, like that, but I think they have a couple coming up. Um, so I'm curious to see if that's a place where Ohio state goes to, cause they don't like that. My high school doesn't have like ties like anywhere. It's like, it's never been a football power. So there's not like, Oh, when we're good, we go to Notre Dame. It's like when they're good, they go to D two schools in Pennsylvania. So um if there's guys there, I'm interested to see if Ohio State tries to get a foothold there too. Yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, and it's interesting how those inroads are always built, and over time, then eventually, you see kids start getting D1 offers from a high school. That high school becomes more of a popular place for local kids, the talented kids to go, and then all of a sudden, you build a relationship with yeah. one. That high school five years down the road has six or seven, and you're set up much better. Yeah, we're, we're I think hoping, yeah. To, hoping to chase young connection gets us the guy from Dematha. Right. Yeah. But I think that helps. I think right. that that matters. Um, but yeah, but like American Heritage down in Florida, they have they have really good connections there. St. Thomas Aquinas down in Florida. Like whenever guys come out of those schools, I think Ohio State's got a good chance to get them because they have a good rapport with those schools and have a good track record of taking players from those high schools and, and uh, develop them, developing them the right way. Same thing with St. John Bosco out in California. Yeah, so played them in um, high school. Not yeah. Fun. Ohio State's really good Not at that. fun to play those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Josh Rosen can throw the ball really far. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I, I'd be, I'd feel like a shameful host if I didn't give you a chance to plug something or give you a chance to talk about something you wanted to talk about. So is there anything that you came into the show with on your mind? Uh, no, <laughs> not, not really. No. I know we've mentioned your survey um, a little bit. Uh, are there any, yeah. any things you want to tease maybe this, for the future? Sure. I can do that. Um, I'm glad I wanted to talk offensive line. So I'm glad we got to do that. Um, I, I guess in terms of stuff that I, that I would plug, um, that survey, like you mentioned, um, the results went up on Thursday on the athletic. They're there now. Um, I'm working on something about the recruitment of Von Bell, but like they, they were doing like some, just recruiting theme stories this month, like across the entire college football staff, because it's June and that's a big recruiting time. And I like wanted to look back at what I thought was a pretty impactful recruitment of Von Bell back in 2013. Um, and I didn't cover it at the time. So like I've, I've been enjoying like learning more about how it all played out. Um, that uh, I've talked to a few people. I still need to talk to more. I'm hoping that can run next week. If not, it'll run the week after. Um, what else do I have? Uh, Maryland State of the Program for anyone who wants to learn oh, more about got, Maryland. You got that one? Um, yeah, last year I got to do Rutgers, which I actually kind of enjoyed because I, like, I knew Greg Schiano and he was fun to talk to. Um, but like, I don't have any connections with Maryland. Um, but I was yeah. like, I talked to Mike Loxley on 
Wednesday for that. And like he was cool. I like I enjoy talking to him. Um, it's fun to like learn about teams that Ohio State will play, but Maryland's not the most interesting team in the world. But but I am writing that if uh, people want to read my for the Big Ten show. So. Yeah, yeah. So they're interesting. Like they're they. I mean, they had a winning record last year. They won a bowl game. They return a lot, so they got a decent quarterback. So we'll see. But uh, those are probably the big things. Um, myself and our Notre Dame writer Pete Sampson are, are going to at some point like get together on a couple like big Ohio State Notre Dame preview st- preview stories. But they will probably run like in July and yeah, August. So there's there are ways away. But that's Pete Sampson. Um, you can look out for those right. things too. Pete Sampson. He's good. Yeah. He's good. He writes some good stuff. Yeah, he's actually on. Um, he is. We had him on four to six with A and B this week. So um, we, Ari and I talked with him about Notre Dame. We, we didn't get like super in depth on the game. Um, we'll do that later with him for sure. And we might even try to do a live show here in Columbus before the game if we can get that all set up logistically. Um, but we had him on this week to do like a preliminary talk about Notre Dame, talk some recruiting stuff, and like Notre Dame trajectory and like early thoughts on that game. So that that was fun too. So if you if you don't listen to Four to Six with A and B, which is a podcast I did with Ari Wasserman, um, you can check that out too. It's all. If you listen to this show and don't listen to that show, we failed. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we, bring we, that, we bring up four to six and, and y'all's work constantly. I, I feel like you. someone had to at least be like, all right, well, what are these guys talking about? Let me go listen. Yeah. <laughs> Let me I, go appreciate see I appreciate why that. I appreciate that. bringing this up all the time. <laughs> yeah. We need, we need, we need the promotion. So thank you for doing that. Yeah. I, I'm the guy that listens to the show when Ari says there's two people still listening to the show. I'm, I'm one of the two. Like when you guys start running nice. on like food, I'm like, the there's no one listening. That's crazy. I have like all the higher yeah. state podcasts set up in the background. They just feed me information. I think. Yeah. Like I, like I, I had uh, Ari's whole like uh, traveling itinerary. He was like, yeah, no one's listening to this still. And I'm like, Oh, you're going, that's where you're going for your wedding. You're flying here and doing this. And I, was, I don't know why I'm still listening, but uh, you know, I finished the show every hey, time. Beach, nice place. Newport beach. Nice place it is too. a nice place. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I'm from the time. one up North. That, like not as many people talk about. Huntington Which one's that? Oh yeah, I've always wanted to go there. I never beautiful been. place. You'd love the pier. It's, I mean, you're you've been to probably the Jersey City and those ocean, those piers over there. Our piers are way better. <laughs> yeah, the the I I, I grew up going, going to the Jersey Shore. I still go there every summer. My dad actually lives there, but uh, the I will music. fully admit that the the beaches yeah the beaches on the west coast are a little nicer uh, for sure. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, we always close out our show with some final thoughts. Um, I know we're running long here, so uh, we can keep you here for four hours if you want. Uh, I don't know if your significant other would be into that but uh yeah final thoughts probably, probably not probably <laughs> uh, not. final thoughts here uh, um me and jordan always oh, we've wondered this like we, I, I love to ask reporters this because you know you get a job and it's fun and stuff but if you could cover any team not named ohio state and i want to kind of limit it to college football at first but if there's a team out there that you'd want to cover that's not in college football i'd also love to hear that as well uh that's a really difficult question to answer um i don't know i don't know that i'd want to cover another college football team like i think ohio state is so good and people love it so much it's in a real city like i think it's almost like the perfect college football beat um there are other teams that people care about a lot, but you kind of have to go live in the middle of yeah. nowhere to cover them. And it's like, you don't have to do that when you come from my state, which I really appreciate. Yeah. Um, I mean, that said, like, if like, I don't know, 
like a lot of places in the mountain west are beautiful so like maybe i could go cover those teams and live in a nice place but um i think uh maybe like the nfl like or or just something back in philly maybe it would be something i want to cover um if i did anything different in college football i suppose it'd be like a national writer but in terms of teams i don't i don't know there's another one i'd rather cover than ohio state but if i could like go to philly and cover one of the pro teams there um i think i would do that maybe maybe the eagles or the phillies um football and baseball i think are the two sports i know the best so um either one of those the eagles maybe. would be in a, an outstanding one to cover because they're probably yeah, like I, I know this term gets started they're they're very college like in their adoration for their nfl team with like that passion to it yes yeah for sure um it's not it's not a big college football town like i didn't grow up a huge college football fan but yeah the the connection that i think eagles fans feel to that team is very similar to college for sure yeah so my my final thought is uh two quick questions one you came up with the beat just really quickly what is it like working the ohio state beat when you have i mean there's a million fan sites you got me and chris not that you knew us before but there's a million fan sites there's a, a million reporters on the beat cleveland.com all these other kind of places uh you're fighting for stories everyone's getting the same quotes just on a beat so large, what is that like? Uh, what is that experience? It's challenging. Um, it was overwhelming at first. Now it's just like kind of the norm. And like I think it's funny, like when the Ohio State beat shows up someplace and it dwarfs the size of the beat or like whoever <laughs> Ohio State is playing. It's like even when we go to like the, the playoff games against Clemson, there's like, I don't know, 10 people who cover Clemson and there's 75 who show up to cover Ohio State. It's, it's really the only the only beat I think I've been around that kind of rivals the size of the Ohio state beat, I think is maybe the Alabama beat. Um, but yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy competitive. I think like not in a way, like there's not, I don't think there's like much animosity between anybody on the beat. I know I certainly don't have any, um, I get along pretty well personally with just about everybody on the beat. Um, but it is animosity. <laughs> they have some sub tweets. Some yeah. I mean, it's not, it's, <laughs> it's not, I don't have time for that. I just try, I just try to be nice to everybody. Um, but, uh, it's still competitive. Like you want to, you want to try to have the best story. Like, we're all kind of getting the same stuff. So it's like, what can you do with that stuff? I've, I have found, and maybe people listening will disagree with me. Um, I have found that Ohio state fans seem to value perspective. Um, so I try to differentiate, differentiate myself that way. And it's just like right what you think. Um, but I think, I think writing what you think more so than like writing just what people say and like being a stenographer um, helps you help set yourself apart on a beat like Ohio State. Yeah, I would say the same. I know, I know we've talked you up a lot, but as far as Ohio State beat, you're really, you and the athletic is really kind of all I cover. I don't really need the, the, Thanks, I mean, they're great writers, but I'm, I'm just not super entertained by the, Coach said this all the time. I really like the game, the film breakdowns. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you're one of the better ones with, film breakdowns and that kind of stuff so i definitely agree with that and i think that's what me and chris on a much smaller scale aim to do provide some perspective from playing football we talk a lot of scheme during uh, the actual season instead of just kind of recaps and and that kind of stuff so um my actual final thought because we didn't talk defense and i don't want to speak for chris but if if you ever want to come back on and talk defense for another two hours i think we'd love to have that but absolutely um my, my question is fill in the blank if Zach Harrison is the best defensive lineman next year, Ohio State's defensive line is what? Uh, 
probably not not quite as good as it needs to be. I think that's fair. That's fair. I think it's fair. Yeah. I, I do think uh, – so I actually wrote an article about it because me and George have talked about this probably three weeks in a row because, you know, like in the offseason, the topics get pretty stagnant. But I, I think there's definitely early in the season, the older guys are going to have much more importance than I think at the end of the season with Notre Dame and Wisconsin being part of their first five games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I think that's right. And I also say, too, like I, I think Zach Harrison is pretty good. Yeah. Um, I think he's he's better than people want to give him credit for. He's just maybe not good in the way they yeah, want him to be good. He doesn't get sacks, so I know um, that raises a lot of red right. flags. I mean, he's a great run defender. He's a really good run defender. I think he, I think he plays pretty hard. Um, I think he's a pretty smart player. I just sort of think he's a little limited as a pass rusher, which I get you don't really want out of your defensive ends, which is – so that's why I said what I said. Like, if he's your best guy, which is to say he's your best pass rusher, then, then I think Ohio State's defensive line will probably be – you know, leaving a little something to be desired. But if he if he's what he's been and like guys like JT and Jack take a step forward and they're sort of like menacing pass rushers or they find a way to just create more pressure, whether that's through blitzing or scheme or something else, um, I still think Zach's going to be a good player and, and that'll be a really good defense. Um, but you just you want to see you want to see guys have higher ceilings. I think as pass rushers take a big step forward this year. Yeah, I, I try to stay away from comparisons, but I think that Zach Harrison is what Jadavian Clowney is in the league. Not what he was in college, but what he's become in the league. I mean, yeah. he's not the pass rusher anyone thought he is, but if he's your second guy, if he's your your uh, left end, your run defender, you have, and, and that's why I think he works so well with the Browns because you have Miles Garrett, but you can't forget to block Jadavian Clowney, and if you run that way, he's going to stop it. I, I think that is kind of how I view him. Um, we've I think it's a good comparison. Him. Uh, thanks. We've talked a little bit about putting him on the inside too, and the uh, like, DeForest, the DeForest Buckner, the um, Eric Armstead mold. Like, I, I pulled it up. I was like, I think they're around that size, and I looked at it, and yeah, those guys are around the same height, uh, taller than you would think typically for a defensive tackle, but they're around the uh, same height and weight as Zach Harrison. So, kind of tossed around, maybe moving them inside as a three tech a little bit too. Um, I would Nolan's, love that. I, I think. might get into that too. I, I think he might too. Like I, I wonder. The thing with like Zach is going to get drafted much higher than people realize, yeah. um, and I wonder if that might be negatively impacted if he played inside more. But honestly, I'm not sure that it would because all you're all you're doing in that scenario is drafting traits of a guy who's super super long, like um, pretty explosive. Like maybe not maybe not super like twitchy like laterally but still pretty explosive and very long and i think difficult to deal with for interior offensive linemen if you were to make that move so maybe his draft stock doesn't get impacted either way but i i think like i think the best things we've seen from zach harrison have come when he's sort of lined up a little more inside than he is when he's like in a wider stance and just like trying to tee off on a path on a quarterback yeah because like when we saw chase doing and he'd get in that sort of wide nine look you knew danger was coming you you don't really have yeah i mean you might as well not even try to block him Uh, yeah no, the Zach does not instill that kind of fear, but I but I, I think he's a. I don't put much stock in PFF grades because, oh, like, yeah, I don't think they know what they're talking about half you, the time. You understand the show. But he grades out well. He he grades out well there um, for whatever that's worth. But it's not even like when I say that I think he's good. I don't really base it off that. I just think I just think he's he's good in a different way than people expected him to be good. But he's good yeah. nonetheless. Sound assignment football, yeah. honestly. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, and, and not not to keep throwing you compliments, but I think that's that's kind of what separates you from a lot of people is being able to provide that perspective because a lot of people see recruiting rankings, they see six five, they see four five, and they say twelve sacks. But I think being able to provide that that perspective that he actually is a good player, and you don't. While it's not the standard that Ohio State has set going from Bosa to Bosa to Chase Young, it is still a necessary component. And if the rest of the defense hadn't taken a step back in some other areas, maybe we, we wouldn't think so negatively. But a lot of people maybe tie that specifically to Zach Harrison uh, in the pass rush sometimes. And, and I mean, that is a huge factor, definitely. Your corners are significantly better. Uh, I was reading an article on The Athletic where they looked at the 2020 class and Deontay Lee uh, did a who are bust and who's not. And he put Jeff Okuda and Damon Arnett as bust currently for two years in their career. And he mentioned that maybe they were what they were because they were in a defense that had Chase Young. So they didn't really have to defend the pass as much. And who knows if that's really what it is. So I don't want to demean what pass rush means, but I, I do appreciate that uh, uh, perspective and we try to keep that I, I really border the fence with Zach Harrison because I'm very much on the youth movement I'd be fine if they won it was um, all sophomores uh, Mike Hall mm-hmm. if it was Tyleek Williams if it was uh, Jack Sawyer and um, JT Tuomalao but I also I so I really border with like I don't want to disrespect Zach because I think he is a, a really good player but also I would be very fine if they won that was the, the starting offensive line give me all the sophomores and let him prove it I think it could get to a place by the middle of the year where that is the case. Um, but even if it is, I still think Zach plays quite a bit. And like oh, and Tyler Friday, Tyler Friday too, I think could play quite a bit as long as he's healthy. Yeah. Yeah, we talked defense. I think I think we got the whole whole circle, <laughs> the whole scope. I think we got it was a fun yeah. show. You know, we added a third opinion in here. We went about thirty minutes longer. So I think that's actually pretty good for us. I have not done a two hour podcast since my yeah, Buckeye since talk days. So Doug this was loves great. his two hour pods. We <laughs> He certainly does. We do an hour for like we'll go into a show and say, "Man, we don't have nothing to talk about," and do an hour hour forty five. <laughs> like we, we get on here and start talking. So definitely, that's one thing I was really concerned about. I was like, "How much time does Bill have?" Like we we, we get to talk and we go down tangents. So definitely appreciate you spending two hours. And I know you're going to get busy as the season comes closer, but would love to have you back on at some point. Yeah, for sure. I'd love to come back on the show. Yeah, awesome. We do appreciate it, Bill. Uh, you guys can find the show on Twitter at BuckoffPod. Uh, Bill, uh, I know you've got much more followers than us, but it's a tradition at the end of the show. Where can we find you on social media? Uh, at BillLandis25 on Twitter. It's tricky. There's three L's there in the middle, but it's at BillLandis25. Hey, Jordan, before we head out. Uh, you can find me at JordanW330. Awesome. And you guys can find me at Chris Rennie CFB because ball is life. And you can find the show at Bug Off Pod. And if you listen to the full two hours, like you got to leave us five stars. Yeah. Hey, yeah I mean, you guys should leave them five stars. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that is, that's it for us today. Thank you for coming on, Bill. Yeah, thanks, guys.